Hey, this is Eduardo Sanchez, co-director of the Blair Witch Project, and you're listening to Without Your Head. of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil and we're here with a live wednesday edition of the show a lot of people are on and right off the bat is the return of connor frazier director of the boy and it's always very cool to have you here well it's great to be here yeah so give us some updates of uh where the boy is right now the movie all right well um it's done and currently, at, at the moment, we're kind of giving um, inve- we're kind of giving distributors one last shot to take this on, to see the wisdom in taking it, and um, you know, taking that risk, I guess, um, because the film, I mean, it, it's not sugarcoated whatsoever. What what's said in that film is probably the rawest and purest form of this story that anybody has ever heard. So. And actually before, just, uh, just, just, just real yeah. quick is uh, for people who, uh, who haven't listened before, uh, can you give them an idea mm-hmm. what the boy is? All right. So um, Nathan Forrest Winters is a former child actor. Um, he appeared in two projects for director Victor Salva, who went on to achieve success with films like um, Jeepers Creepers and Powder. Most recently, um, he's directed Rosewood Lane, Dark House, um, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, or just Peaceful Warrior, I think is how it's called, um, how they called it. 
Um, so Victor, in the earliest in the in the early days when he had first met Nathan, um, he was not an established director at this point. He was working on a short film called Goblin's Gold, and he couldn't find anybody to create <clears throat> um, a mock a mock up of a goblin's head for the film. So a friend of Nathan's mother got in contact with Nathan's mother and said, look, I mean, he's, um, this guy is trying to make a movie. He needs somebody to do, you know, this goblin head, whatever. And so Nathan's mother is very artistic and she took it on. And that's how they began kind of being cordial and, you know, getting to know one another and then finally, it kind of came down to, well, you guys, you know, you have so much going on. Let me take Nathan for the weekend. Let me, you know, I'll take him to an amusement park. I'll take him to the movies. I'll take him, you know, wherever and take him to the park. And at this point, I guess you could say he became his babysitter. And for six years, Nathan was molested by Victor and filmed. He was, um, Victor had made child pornography of Nathan and as well as other kids. And it all kind of culminated with the production of Clown House, which was Victor's first feature length film. And so when, when, um, I know we went over this before, but just to give people, you know, a backstory, uh, when did you start, uh, start this project with Nathan? Um, I first started interacting with Nathan probably in the spring of 2017. I just, you know, I, I found him online and I said, Hey, why don't we do a movie? And for a little while, you know, there was just kind of talks, you know, Nathan was getting a feel for me. I was getting a feel for Nathan and we seemed to get along very well. And we kind of had the same point of view on it. So we ended up filming and for two weeks in October of 2017. And the reason I guess that it's had such a, you know, because, you know, we filmed it in 2017 and it's just now getting ready to come out at the end of 2019. And I think, you know, the reason for that was that we went at it in a very unconventional way. Um, it's not a film in the normal sense of the word. And we really were going based on emotion. You know, this was the first time in 30 years that Nathan has really gone back inside of his own head and dug out many of these memories. And, you know, to have that 30 years on, that there's no real formula to how to make a film surrounding that. And that's something we were kind of realizing was that there isn't really a formula because every day, you know, Nathan wouldn't, maybe a new, a new memory would come up and then we'd have to kind of totally scrap whatever direction we were going and pursue this direction and, or that direction. And so we didn't, I mean, we had a basic setup for what we wanted to do. We knew basically where we were going with it, but we did not script anything. We did not really have production notes. Um, except for maybe a couple of bullet points. It was literally Nathan and I sitting in a hotel room hashing this out. So um, when you said like uh, people to take a chance with it, what are the reasons people have given you that for, for whatever reason they don't want to uh, release it? 
or distribute it? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that for some people, maybe there's a fear because the movie is not, we don't sugarcoat anything in this movie. Nathan tells the story exactly how they happen in brutal detail. And maybe that frightens people to some extent because it's not very marketable. Um, also, the way that we chose to do it, because it's really not a film. I mean, it is a film, but it's not at the same time. It, it's a new kind of film. It's a new way of making a film. It's more of just a documentation, not even a documentary. It's, it's documenting, but then it's still not, you know, you could say that it's documenting something, but it's still at the end of the day, not a documentary in the normal sense of the word. The way that we have it set up is that, so to give a bit of a background, when the police arrested Victor, they went and they raided his home back in 87, 88. And they found stacks and stacks and stacks of videotapes um, of child porn, stuff that Victor had filmed of Nathan, of other kids. Um, so we were kind of, this kind of struck me because you have all these these videotapes of all these kids, these anonymous children that, you know, we don't know who they are and we don't. And there, there was something kind of a mystery of it. You know, this was, it, it's been a secret this entire time. You know, nobody thinks that Victor had more victims when we know for a fact he did. And, you know, police records will prove that, that they at, very, at the very least had a suspicion of other victims. Mm -hmm. Um, so we went with this idea of, you know, Victor had these secret tapes that he had hidden from the world. And, you know, in turn throughout his career, he hid the fact that there were these secret tapes with all these secret victims from the world. So we are kind of taking that, this approach of after 30 years, we're exposing Nathan's story to the world after, you know, a long time where there's been misconceptions and there's been people that have tried to, you know, the, the people have said, oh, well, Nathan's destroying Victor's career. Victor should, you know, Victor should be able to move on or, you know, or Vic, Nathan suppresses um, Victor's work, you know, things like that. We're, we're, we're getting his family side of it out because that's never happened. And a lot of people will disagree with that and say, well, it already has happened because Victor went to jail. Yeah, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that the, the story was truly told. Mm-hmm. And um, when you, um, how do you want to release it? Would, like, ideally, would you uh, like video on demand, uh, at the theatrical, uh, you know, uh, DVD, Blu-ray? Yeah. Yeah. There's a variety of ways that we're going to do it. Because since we're, we're drawing from this idea of, you know, Victor had his secret tapes that he tried to keep hidden. This is kind of our version of that. That Victor has you know, for the longest time, tried to shrug off and push aside the reality of what he did. So we're coming out with our own, I guess you could say, secret tapes to counteract that this media campaign that he's been on for 30 years now. So in, you know, going with that idea, we thought of, you know, well, what are some ways if you had dirty laundry, you know, if you had some stuff that you didn't want anybody to ever see. What would you keep that on? 
you keep it on maybe a blank disc under your desk. You'd keep keep it on a VHS tape in a box, or you'd keep it on a USB drive, just an unassuming USB drive sitting in your cabinet. So, I mean, eventually we are going to put it on video on demand and uh-huh. things like that. But the initial release is going to be entirely physical. And the film, it's not even like, like I've said before, it's not even really a film. This is a collage, if anything. And it's a very raw and a very ugly thing. But this is the reality. And so we're going to distribute this collage in three segments. So if you were to purchase the film, which we will have a store up soon so that people can purchase it directly from us. Um, If say you bought it on VHS, you would get three VHS tapes blank, just blank VHS tapes, just unassuming. And each one of them would contain pieces of this puzzle through, you know, different segments of the film. So throughout these three tapes, you've got different segments and you piece them together. But it's not to the point where you can't understand, you know, a kind of narrative. I mean, we don't just throw random tidbits in there and make you put it all together. It's just a kind of an interesting way of bringing it out because I think – with a story that's kind of been a story like this has kind of been, you know, it's taken so long for it to get out there. We felt like we needed to do it in a way that was original and different because we owe that to the people that have been supporting us for two years and the people that have been talking about Nathan for the last 30. Yeah. So how, um, is the finished product that you have now, is it any different than the, uh, the finished one you had that you were trying to submit to, to festivals and conventions? Um, it is slightly, slightly. There is a slight difference. Um, there's some stuff that was taken out just for, um, to, you know, keep the flow, you know, at a nice pace, you know, you don't want it to get too bogged down. Um, cause you know, like I said, the whole thing is a collage of, you know, it's a collage of, of images and memories. So mm-hmm. there wasn't, you know, some of the memories are more important than others, I guess, to getting the story out there. Some of it, you know, we didn't want to have to rehash everything because a lot of people, they know the general gist of what happened. They just don't know the whole story. Mm-hmm. But How, yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, I mean, there, there's slight differences, but it's pretty much the same footage. Yeah, it's the exact same setup. Mm-hmm. How long is the uh, the finished uh, movie? The finished movie, if you were to put it all together, like I mean, because well, like I've been saying, I mean, it's not a movie movie, <laughs> so it doesn't have an official runtime. Yeah. But I guess if you were gonna if you were to watch everything back to back. Um, it probably would be around an hour and 15. Okay. So you said like it, you know, how you were making it's like change why you were filming it. So when you, when you went into it, did you going in, did you think I'm just going to make like a straight documentary, like talking head documentary? No, no, that was never 
the idea. I mean, there was never, there were basic ideas. There was basic themes that we were exploring, but neither of us ever truly hashed out any kind of like an outline because it, that that was just the nature that that was the way that it was going, you know, working with Nathan and, you know, witnessing kind of how he would have to try to throw things, throw things together and piece things. It, it would have been impossible, I think, for us to do it in a formal way because of how quickly things would change while we were filming. If he found, you know, if something in the back of his mind popped out, you know, that could, that could totally redirect the course. Mm-hmm. So when, when you're doing this, uh, is your like intention to kind of, uh, for the viewer to kind of go through kind of like what Nathan is when he's telling this or what you are, maybe more so your perspective while you're talking to Nathan and you, uh, get, getting the story. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the way that I, I, I see it is that the movie is kind of like, it's, it's, it's not really a movie. It's kind of art therapy. I mean, it's, it was, I mean, the production of it was art therapy. This was, Nathan working through a lot of his stuff, you know, and so it will, I mean, and the reason that, you know, splitting it up into pieces as kind of this lost footage that's now seeing the light of day after 30 years, it allows the audience to take breaks. You know, you don't have to watch an hour and 15, an hour and a half of just this dull, depressing shit because it really can get hard. And that was the biggest issue that we had all this footage and didn't have a clue, you know, if anybody was going to watch it in one piece or not, because it was so dark, it would have been difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this would be more a question for Nathan about like how this helped him or, or changed him or at all. But uh, how about when you're, when you're around Nathan, how, how do you think it changed your perception of him from when you started to when you finished? I, I think it gave us a bond that is going to be lifetime. I mean, Nathan and I are brothers. I am, I am considered family within his family now. And that's a very beautiful thing. And I'm very blessed for that. And I, I think that was the biggest thing was that doing it this way you were kind of forced to just let it all out. There was no room for comfort. You had to be totally uncomfortable the whole time and you had to bear your most, you know, the most insecure parts of yourself. And that created something that I think a lot of people, you know, when they work with someone, they just, they don't have, especially in a, you know, situation like this, like documentaries are usually pretty hands off. Mm-hmm. Now, did you guys argue at all or about like um, uh, the format of, of, of what you're making or, or the direction you're going? Oh, or were you we both like always the on the same? Mm-hmm. We, always, we argued all the time about little things, but that was – it was never negative. Like, like when I yeah. say argue, I just mean in the sense of it, it's a collaboration. It was never, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that. Um it was it was you know just debating back and forth and it was it was healthy it was never an a negative kind of arguing yeah yeah so i know um 
that, that you guys had planned before about, you know, to make other things together after this. Is, are there, is that still in the plans? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to hopefully next year I will start filming a movie called Human Wreckage um, about a young woman named Amy Pierce who believes that she is the reincarnation of a silent film actress um, named Lucille Rickson who died at the age of 14. So I, Nathan is going to score that for me. Oh, wow. Um, I've all kind of asked him if he would do it because I, you know, the image I've got in my head for that film, yeah, I just, Nathan's musical touches would yeah, work perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I assume you kept all his music uh, for the boy. Yeah. Yeah. The music is in there. Nathan scored the film. He scored his own film and we're going to be, when we set up that um, our store, we're going to have not only copies of the film in multiple different formats, but we're also going to have the score for the film. You can buy it on digitally through CD. We're even going to press it to vinyl. Um, the film poster will be there. You can buy you know stills, whatever you want. You know, whatever people want, you know, we'll do for them, you know, because this is really about everyone else. It's not really about us. It's about the people that have been championing this cause for 30 years. And Mm -hmm. so we just want to make them happy. Yeah. So um, why the change uh, from the name from um, Puritanus, uh, the babysitter to the boy? Um. I think it was the best version of it. I mean, because like I was saying, I mean, the whole thing, the the film, it's not even a film. I mean, I'm not even going to call it a a fucking film. I mean, this is an this is art therapy. So naturally, when you're working through these types of emotions, your outlook is going to change with every new piece of information you remember or new pieces of information that you learn. So to start out as the babysitter and then move to pure Eternus and then move to the boy, it was just a natural progression. It really is like a therapy session, you know, and your outlook is going to change gradually throughout that as you start to kind of see, you know, the person you can become. Mm-hmm. Have you, uh, have you had any backlash, uh, while filming this from, from anyone who's, you know, tried to stop, uh, stop the production? Um, we've had a few people. We've had people that have tried to get close to our production and have attempted to discredit us to make bold face lies. Um, one person accused Nathan of um, physically abusing his child, which is complete nonsense. And there, there, yeah, so there's been a lot. But see, what's so funny about it is that it's never come from Victor's camp because we are 99.9% sure Victor knows that this film has been made, mm-hmm. but we have not heard anything from Salvo. Yeah. The, the people that have been trying to stop us are the ones who claim to be there to help us. And that is what is so mind boggling about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we, there are people that we no longer interact with because other people came to those people, told them a bunch of bullshit about us and our, you know, production. Yeah. And, you know, the, these are industry ties. I mean, the, you know, just dis- distribution and, um, 
individuals that were going to help us with funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, you know, it's strange. I don't know. It's such a controversial thing anyway. I mean, and I don't know totally, you know, who knows, yeah, but it, it, it kind of can make you very paranoid because <laughs> yeah. it's as if they're, they're literally going in and taking every single fucking person that you have ever interacted with and trying to put, trying to, um, put them against you. And I don't know why. I mean, I think it's just the sad reality that when you make a movie about a topic like this, everybody wants to be a hero. And if you don't give them the opportunity to be that hero, they're going to take it and they're going to burn you. So there are people out there that, that know that this is, yeah. Now, obviously, I, I this, yeah. I'd say when, when you talk about it being um, therapy for Nathan, like, uh, uh, how about for you? How about for yourself? You know, going through all these different uh, things, like people trying to stop the movie being made, and the, what, what's that whole experience been like for you? It's a part of the ride. I mean, it really is, and I, I think you, you, it really. It's kind of like you go into it as a boy and you come out as a man. And I mean, no pun intended with the movie tie or anything, but like it's, it really is. It's, it's a fucking shit show and it's been stressful. And, but I think we've come out on top and the people out there that have not, you know, supported our efforts, you know, are, they're going to realize that it was all for nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, there, yeah, that, that, that's how I feel about that. I mean, I think it really has, it, it's shaped a certain, to a certain extent, the way in which I present myself, I guess, because I, I'm a little more protective now and I'm, I, I take a lot more care with my stuff because this is not, it's no joke. I mean, we, we had a lot of bridges burned down for, by people other than us. Mm-hmm. So, um, who who did the poster art? Um, Nathan designed the poster. I dig it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. What What was like? Uh, do Do you know what his thought process was for it? it, it a lot of it. I mean, we. we I, I think I do, but but you got to remember too. I mean like I was saying with the art therapy thing, we went through a lot of ideas where we were in these weird kind of head head spaces where I can't really necessarily give you an explanation for everything. It was kind of just, we had this shorthand kind of understanding for a lot of it. So So it has something to do with, you know, it's, it's essentially just unlocking a door, you know, and, allowing the truth to be outed because a lot of people think they know the truth and they really don't. And in fact, one of the things that we came across making this film, you know, one of the biggest defenses that people give when they criticize us for making this is number one, that we're trying to ruin, ruin Victor's career, which is not true. We do not care if he works. We have said that from the very beginning, we don't care, but you know, what we do care about is if he's working for companies like Disney, which he did once before, and he might do again. Mm-hmm. And two, people accuse us of just rehashing for the sake of getting Nathan out there in the limelight for, you know, Me Too or whatever. Well, Me Too broke 
long after we started working on this. So we predate Me Too by a good six months. And we haven't made a, a dime so far. And who knows if we will once it's released? Who knows if anybody will, will fucking buy it? I mean, we, we did this thing on $3,000. And when you factor in airfare and hotel and food expenses, we only had $200 to play with. So any, any argument that we were doing it for money goes out the window. And three, they say, well, you know, this story has already been told. Victor, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, no, because we have um, audio of Brian McHugh. And Brian McHugh, for anybody who's seen Clown House, he was the middle brother. He was the blonde-haired boy with the glasses. Brian McHugh has stated, and this is on record, that Victor Salva filmed him taking a shower without his knowledge. And we have this on record, and Brian is more than happy to confirm that for anybody that wants to ask. So uh, we're not just rehashing the same shit. Yeah. So, so that was that when he said that was uh, was that part of the filming for the documentary, or did he say that somewhere else? Um, he said that um during an interview I did with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed him and I interviewed Bill Bacon, who was production designer on Clown House, and neither one of those interviews are going to be in the film, but um the, the audio Brian's audio is going to be released to the public. Yeah. Do you know how you'll have that released? Um, we're just going to drop it for anybody who wants it. I mean, we hope that people want it. I mean, when we came out with the poster, we didn't get anything. I mean, we maybe got two hits from, um, horror sites, (laughs) bloody disgusting. I mean, they, they don't touch it anyway, which didn't surprise me because they seem to, you know, they just don't want to get into it, I guess. Um, and even Dread Central, I never heard anything from Dread Central. And that's what's so funny is because Dread Central was the one that broke the story anyway, that we were making the film. So I don't know what's going on with that. I mean, maybe it's just how fickle things are. I mean, it, everything is so, you know, in the blink of an eye, we live in a mass media world. And in the blink of an eye, they care about you and then they don't. So maybe that's it. We got a lot of love from IndieWire who I'm, I'm very happy for that. That's probably the biggest exposure we've had so far. And I was very happy with the way they handled it. Yeah. Um, because apparently Jeepers Creepers three is supposed to be coming back out into theaters for a limited showing again. Yeah. I had no clue. Neither of us did. Yeah. Neither of us knew. Like we, we didn't know until people started sending us the uh, article the article or whatever and then you know the guy from IndieWire messaged nathan we had no clue yeah it, and and it's it's very strange because even even if if let's say they don't know about this which is highly unlikely but let's say they don't why would you even pick jeepers creepers 3 anyway like this is the movie that really needs a, a re-release <laughs> i don't know i don't i mean maybe <sighs> I, I think there's a lot of nostalgia for the Jeepers Creepers films. And I, I feel for people that are fans who get upset and they say that you guys are trying to ruin, you know, 
Victor's career and he's never going to make another film and all that. I mean, because we, I mean, I sympathize with that. It's, it's a film. It's one of those movies that, you know, horror films when you're a child are kind of like this dangerous thing. Like there's a lot Mm -hmm. of horror movies your parents aren't going to let you watch. Jeepers Creepers was one of those movies you could watch as a 10 year old and it didn't really, you know, bother the parents that much because it's more of like monster gore. It's not like bloody people gore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, there's some nostalgia there for people that grew up watching the creeper and that was their first exposure to horror films. Sure. Um, so I, I do sympathize with that, but I think yeah. too, the, the issue shouldn't be, you know, that we, we are trying to, you know, beat a dead horse or that, you know, we want to stop him from working. The issue is that Victor's films, as much as you love them, they are full of homoeroticism and there's nothing wrong with homoeroticism. I mean, if, you know, who cares, Mm -hmm. but it's homoeroticism surrounding young boys. And that's wrong. Incredibly wrong. I mean, the second Jeepers Creepers film, the opening of that film features the creeper, essentially being crucified he's a martyr and he goes and he kills that little boy in the cornfield who looks a lot like nathan did and so i know i watched the uh, clown house uh, before the last time i had you and nathan on and right at the yeah. beginning there's lots of like very uh yeah you would think that would stand out even if you didn't know anything at the time but uh, knowing and knowing stuff now it's like wow this is this is creepy and i don't mean creepy in a horror movie way it's just it's no. creepy and he, he's continued to do that. I mean, every film that he's made has essentially featured some kind of subliminal, you know, conversation about pedophilia. And I, I don't know if it's intentional on his part or if it just it's a Freudian thing. But, I mean, take the Rosewood Lane came out in 2011. It's about a murderous paper boy. And the paperboy, you know, Rose McGowan is this girl that's being tormented by the paperboy. Well, she's got a boyfriend, and the paperboy in one scene pisses all over the boyfriend, and he falls into an empty pool. Now, why is that? What What was the purpose of him urinating? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. There was no reason. It was just in a gratuitous, you know, I don't know. So... If you look at it like that, you know, and I hope people will because they'll realize that, you know, Victor, as much as he says, oh, I'm not that person, his movies tell a different story. Mm-hmm. And he's never actually formally apologized. That's another misconception we get all the time. Victor apologized. No, he didn't. He has not once. And you can you can look at any interview he's ever done. If they talk about Nathan, he says, you know, I paid for my mistakes dearly and I just want to be a, you know, respectful member of society, whatever. He never once said, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, e- even it, I mean, it, ha, ha, you can't just apologize uh, for the less than no. somebody make it okay anyway. No, but it would, it would definitely show some kind of some maturity. Of, right. Either remorse or acknowledgement remorse. that he did something that was wrong. Instead of just, you know, being the martyr, you know, and I, I, I don't, I guess 
his objective was to try to be this great director and that Nathan would have been a nuisance. So the best way to avoid it is to, you know, not, you know, comment on it directly, which is he never really comments on it directly. It's always indirect. And I mean, he, there's an interview in the Los Angeles times, I think, and it was in 2006, he was promoting peaceful warrior and it's called Victor Salva's horror stories. And I love that title. Um, and in that he says, you know, I paid for my mistakes dearly and, you know, maybe we could all move on if the boy would stop talking about it. Mm. And now don't quote me verbatim on that. That's yeah. not, I don't think that's the exact wording, but that's the gist is maybe we can all move on if Nathan will stop talking. Mm. So do, do you have any um, inspirations for the way you made the movie? You don't want to call it movie, but the way you made the boy. Um, inspirations. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I, I, I didn't really ever think about it. I mean, I have inspirations that I've drawn from, you know, childhood and, you know, with anything that I do, you know, I have watched a lot of, you know, Tim Burton films and, you know, Alfred Hitchcock. Um, I like, you know, Kenneth Anger is a great director and there's, so there's a lot, I mean, John Carpenter, but I don't think I ever, went after a single source and said, okay, this is what I'm going to try to emulate. Mm-hmm. Um, That's to, play devil, <laughs> to play devil's advocate, um, uh, if someone told you, we will release this if it's a more traditional movie, what would you say to that? No, no, no. And why? That's exactly... That's exactly what happened, <laughs> really. We had one distribution kind of a deal. I mean, it was kind of a speculative thing. We had signed um, speculative contracts, I guess, but we had never formally made an agreement. Mm -hmm. And they wanted us to trim like a good 15 minutes out of it. And we just said no. I mean, there was no point. We tried to rearrange it to make it a little more, I guess, safe, but there wasn't any point because if you do that, you're getting rid of the heart of it. Mm-hmm. And we're not, you know, it, when I say that, I mean, it's raw and it's powerful in a, in the sense that Nathan bears everything, but it's not as if we're, you know, the film consists of, of us, you know, spitting on a picture of Victor or something. It's not controversial in that sense. I think it's just brutal honesty makes people uncomfortable. And it seems like it's made people, you know, everyone except Victor has had something negative to say in this whole time. And that's fascinating to me is that the man that everybody's condemning, you know, and I'm not defending Victor here. I'm just saying it's funny that he's got more maturity in in the way that he's handled this than most people have. Yeah. Yeah. So you did, you you mentioned um, interviewing a couple of people, Brian McHugh and, um, Another person, uh, the name for escape, Bill Bacon. Bill Bacon. Um, so, so at the time when you filmed them, uh, did you think this will be part of the documentary? And and what was the thought process to not use them and just it's all Connor, I believe. Because it, I, I think it, it took away from the heart of it, and a lot of it was, I mean, you got to remember this is thirty years ago, and mm-hmm. it took Nathan a long time to really pick through everything, and there's still probably memories that we didn't tap into. 
So, and this is someone that was, you know, a trauma victim. Let's, you know, talk to someone like Bill Bacon. He's not a trauma victim. He just simply doesn't remember because it was so long ago. You know, he had, you know, memories of being on the set, but there wasn't much of a, he did remember that Victor, that Nathan spent a lot of time sitting on Victor's lap during filming. Um, Nathan has a story that I, we had cut out of the film that because the clown house was shot at Francis Ford Coppola's home, you know, the house that they live in is Coppola's. Mm -hmm. And one day they were filming and Vic, you know, Nathan wasn't needed on the set for about an hour. So Francis said here, you know, come to my bungalow and look at, you know, this is where I, I do my film work, you know? So he was kind of showing him around, showing him, you know, where he gets, how he gets his ideas, you know, where he writes his scripts just, you know, being friendly, whatever. And Victor bursts through into the bungalow and he's just, Nathan said he was steaming pissed. And he insisted that Nathan needed to be on the set. And, and Francis was shocked. And he said, you know, what, what, you know, but he doesn't need to be on here for an hour when well, Nathan needs to be on the set. And Vic, Nathan said it was kind of like watching a jealous lover. So, I mean, it was strange. You know, everybody kind of agreed that they were little strange, you know, tidbits in yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and did, didn't the, friend, the the Coppola family help um, help pay for his uh, for Victor Silva's um, uh, defense? Salvas. See, a lot of that, a lot of that, there's a lot of speculation. I mean, I, I think, and this is, I uh, had, an, I was, there was this other interview I had done, and they were asking me about that, and I said, I'm not going to go out here and I'm not going to say that Francis Ford Coppola did A, B, and C because there's no evidence of anything. So I'm not going to condemn a man who very well could be completely innocent. I mean, sure, he's collaborated a lot with Victor, and you can make of that what you will. But I'm not going to say that Victor, I mean, that Francis is, you know, some monster, you know, pulling the strings because there's just no evidence of that. And. I, I think he certainly did have a lot of help. Yes. I'm not sure if it was Francis. Mm -hmm. uh, some people think it is. I, I believe Nathan believes it is, but I personally don't know. <laughs> and I don't think anybody really knows for sure. Um, you know, people talk about, you know, Nathan had gotten sued for breach of contract <laughs> And it wasn't by Coppola directly. I mean, that was through, um, I think it was Capitol Pictures um, who produced the film. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just don't, I try not to jump to conclusions like that because I feel like that's, you know, this isn't a witch hunt. And if, if he, you know, if Francis were to be innocent, that would be horrendous, you know, for people to sure. do that. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, uh, again, it might be something that, uh, like, anyone that he's worked with or like worked on a movie, of his if if something came up, they would help him legally. You know, with, with the finances, it might. You know, there, there could yeah. be lots of. I mean, uh, lots everybody of had a lot to lose. Mm -hmm. Everybody had a lot to lose there. You know that that was you know they'd taken an investment gamble, and whether you feel it's right for them to try to defend him as a way to recoup their losses. I mean, that's up to each person. Yeah. I don't really have an opinion either way. You know, I kind of allow everyone else to do that. Yeah. 
I'm telling so, Nathan's story, you know? Right. Yeah. So it, it's um, on the website, scaretissue.com. It says that uh, it's going to be released October 31st. So is that still the plan? Yes. Yes. Um, we posted on our official Facebook page that um, if, you know, we're, we're still holding out that if anybody wants to take the film on, let's go. But I don't, if that doesn't happen, we're, we're going to release it on Halloween and it's, it's going to come out, you know, either way we were just, yeah. you know, wanted to give distributors one last chance, you know, to kind of see the wisdom in releasing it because it, I think it's something that's going to affect a lot of people and it's going to be a positive thing. And it's not people that are fans of Victor and they're terrified. It's not, a, we're not bashing him the entire time. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't about throwing mud at anyone. It's just telling the story as it happened in Nathan's eyes. Yeah. He is the only one, you know, the, there's two sides and he hasn't been able to say, to share his side really ever. And uh, what, what is the Facebook page? Um, it is facebook.com slash Nathan Winters film. Mm-hmm. That's all lowercase, Nathan Winters film. Yeah. And so um, um, you said you'll have a store popping up, but right now people are interested. Like, could they pre-order it some way or should they just wait for the store to come up? Um, yeah, my, I have the production's email. We're getting ready to put my I have a little production email that uh, that I set up and we're getting ready to throw that onto the Facebook page. So if everybody wants to kind of head over to the Facebook page, like it. Even if you don't have Facebook, just kind of check on it, <laughs> whatever you want right. to do, um, or message me, message Nathan, whatever you want. Um, we will, you know, have that up shortly so that people can pre-order. I know that I've, we've, I've already got a couple of pre-orders. I'm not sure if Nathan, I haven't really asked him recently, but I, I imagine he's probably got some pre-orders already too. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and we're not, you know, when you do that, too, when we say pre-order, you don't have to pay us right now. I mean, we're, we're essentially just saying that we will make sure that a copy is reserved for you so that if we were to run out, if it were to sell very well, you're not left out, you know. You, you know, you don't have to give us the money up front. You, you can pay for it when the film is ready to be bought. Mm-hmm. And it all goes so, off. Uh, it goes yes. towards funding you know, some of the proceeds goes toward funding Nathan's grassroots campaign. Um, we are their voice. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants uh, to continue to spread awareness, not only with Hollywood, but all throughout the, you know, allowing children to have far more legal rights than they already have. Yeah. Cause they don't have very much. Mm-hmm. So, um, for, from here, so you, the movie will come out the 31st and, uh, if, if no one, if, you know, either through you guys or, you know, maybe through, through someone else. Uh, w- when you do your next stuff, are you going to do more documentaries or are you going to stick with um, like a, a regular film? Um, I mean, I'd like to do everything. I mean, this film, uh-huh. you know, it's kind of a weird little, you know, pseudo documentary and art and art project really is what it, I think it is at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, working with Amy, we've been working on a lot of ideas as to where we can go 
with her film, but we haven't yet, uh, you know, put down any kind of concrete plan, but it might kind of follow the same pattern. If not, you know, it won't be a total rehash of what I did with Nathan, but it'll be an interesting, I, I like the way that we did it. The fact that we didn't have all of this money at our, our disposal, you know, we, we weren't allowed to work in a vacuum. So I kind of was, had to come up with different techniques that I, I kind of want to continue to test out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't mind doing a film film. I mean, I've got uh, some other stuff that I've been working on, you know, that doesn't really, or just, you know, not really working on just talking with people and, um, there might be a little more film film as opposed to, you know, playing around and doing something experimental. Um, and I have a TV show that me and a friend of mine are working on right now, which is a kind of like, it has nothing to do with any of this. It's totally different. And that might come as a shock to people because, you know, you go from doing a film like this, which is very serious and very solemn. And then we do a TV show. It's essentially kind of like, it's like take jackass, mix it with Beavis and Butthead and throw it into a blender with a bunch of Nickelodeon. And that's what you've got Saturday morning mind control. All right. So, uh, well, so you say TV show, like, uh, what would you like to do with that? Like, what would it be online? Cause there's a lot of streaming sites now. Like there's a lot, there's lots of platforms where something could go. Yeah. Um, actually the first episode we threw online, kind of the pilot, um, we threw it online last week and we're going to be throwing the second episode online this week, but we've also got, in the works. Um, I mean, the, the, the goal was to kind of go back and pay homage to public access. Cause you don't really see a lot of that anymore. No. You know, and a lot of people don't go on TV anymore. They just put their stuff online. Mm-hmm. And so while, while we're still going to do that, we are focusing also on trying to get the show airing on TVs mm-hmm. and we have two um, stations lined up right now. One of them is, in Virginia and the other one is in is Manhattan in New York. Oh, nice. Which is good. They're both going to begin airing the show uh, this month. Oh, wow. So we're kind of just seeing, how, it's kind of just an experiment to see how far it can go. You know, where, yeah. where, how far can we take it? And it's a lot of fun. It's certainly not, you know, for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's more of a vulgar thing. It's not really, um, the same type of thing as, you know, working with Nathan or anything like that. But, but you know, it's, I guess it's versatility. You know, everybody, there's, everybody has different shades. Sure. I guess this is the other shade. Right, right. Well, I'm interested in checking that out. So the first yeah, episode yeah. is up online. I'll, I'll watch it. Yeah, it's on YouTube. If you look up Saturday Morning Mind Control, you should find it. And it's, um, the first episode is called Destination 2001. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. Are you in it? Are you in it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the majority of it, yeah. Okay. So you said it's like a combination of jackass and other things. So are you doing like, uh, are you like kicking, kicking really the nuts or strong. what's going on here? 
No, no, it's not. It's not stunts, really. Uh-huh. It's kind of just us going around fucking with people, I guess. Because it, it, the inspiration for it is that you know, me and my friend, we've known each other now for almost ten years, and we're very unique in our friendship. Where we like to, we kind of have our own kind of um, language. When especially when we go out in public, we we're very weird, and we we try to you know we we think things are funny. A lot of people don't think you're funny. And so I said, wouldn't it be interesting that, you know, all these conversations that we have and all these things we do where we just kind of pull pranks and, you know, whatever from when we were in high school, why don't we do that on a TV show? And it seemed to be catching on. I mean, not too terribly much, but, you know, we, we've managed to, especially locally to us, managed to get a bit of a cult following already of people that you know are interested in it and we've always done weird things i mean the first film i ever worked on was a film of his and that film was about you know it was teenagers doing drugs and you know breaking things (laughs) so this is a you know so it's a total opposite from this but it's all joe you know, we're, we're kind of just poking fun at the way that our world is changing. And we, we, we want everyone. It, it's, a, it's kind of a very peaceful show, even though it, it, it seems to be almost, um, you know, just vulgar and, you know, just attention whoring or whatever. But it's, it's, it, it, we want everyone to love each other. And I think that's the, that's the, the message of the show at the end of the day. All right. All right. Well, I'm interested. So how many people have uh, seen the boy? Um, outside of me and Nathan, I really, uh, there might be one other person. (laughs) And, you know, if you count distributors, maybe four people (laughs) have seen it. Um, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't gone. Yeah. Like publicly now, now, no. Yeah. Yeah, but um, like you haven't shown like many like uh, friends or family. No, not yet. No, um, we actually have. It's funny. We have a a video out online. If you can search for it, you know, hunt it down. Um, it's a hour and a half film that we're kind of. It's it's like a mock up version of the boy, hmm. and it we it was made kind of just in case. You know, like I said, we've had a lot of people that have tried to discredit us. So we said, well, let's put this fake film out there and they can shit all over that <laughs> while we <laughs> release this, you know. Uh-huh. Interesting. So if anybody, I don't remember what it, I don't remember what I, what it was titled. If you can hunt it down, uh-huh. you, 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 you win whatever you win. Right. You win something. <laughs> right. You win a pat on the back. A virtual pat if on you the win back. A cookie. There you yeah. go. Well, that, you, have to, you have to send him a cookie. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't need cookies anymore. Pat you on the back. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Virtual pat on the back. Well, I'm very interested in in eventually seeing the boy. Absolutely, yeah. Halloween. That's I'm telling you, if we don't, you know, we've given this one last little, you know, we're kind of throwing, you know, holding out the olive branch, (laughs) and if anybody wants to take it, you know, more than happy. But if they don't want to, then Halloween is it. And we have no intentions of swaying from that. Yeah. 
And uh, I know uh, the last year or so have been a little hard to uh, to get in contact with, but I was uh, I was sick, and then uh, uh, started uh, changing my life, and and, and so. Yeah, but now everything, everything's yeah. well, not about that. But everything's going well now. <laughs> so if you, if you need me, you just uh, message me, and, and I'll be there. Yeah. Oh, and also one more thing, because I know, yeah, um, there anybody that's listening to this who, you know, maybe works at a theater, runs a theater. Um, we're also open to um, getting the film screened in theaters. Of course, it's not going to be a traditional screening, but um, the, the setup is that the film, since, you know, since the project is divided into pieces, you know, Nathan will be there to kind of provide commentary and do Q and A's. So if anybody wants to do that, we've got two so theaters that we're working on trying to get it in. Who knows if it'll actually happen, but, you know, so that I want to put that out there. If anybody listening to this um, runs a theater, works for a theater, you know, definitely message me or Nathan, because we're trying to get this thing shown as much as possible anywhere. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I know a couple um, in Boston, uh, Brookline and Cambridge, but they just everything around Boston is called Boston. Uh, they show a lot of you know art house stuff or old stuff, so uh, you know they might be interested. I don't know. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Let me give give me their. Uh, you know, once we get off of here, I know you got a long show tonight, but definitely, you know, yeah. Send me some of that information, and I'll see if I can get them to talk to us. Yeah, sounds good. Speaking of that, I do have another guest coming up, so we're going to let you go, yeah. but it's always good to talk right. with you, and it's nice it's to get information to out about, about the about the boy for the people who can uh, look forward to uh, seeing that. I don't know if look forward is the right word, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, look fine. You know, look forward. I know that there's anticipation for it, and, yeah. you know, it's always good, you know, it's always good to come on here and to be able to talk to you again. You were the one that gave us our our first exposure, so I'm always glad to come back. Awesome. I appreciate that. It's uh, good to talk to you. And it's good to see that we'll finally be, it will finally be out there in some form or fashion. Finally, finally here two long years. It's, it feels longer than it actually is, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, I'll talk to you soon, Connor. I talk to you soon, brother. Yep. And hello, Nathan, if you're out there. From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old-world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. Where we should have listened, here on a lie, the tomb of Nick Cage. They come at Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. Greetings from Trollville. This is Lloyd Kaufman, president of Troma Entertainment and creator of The Toxic Avenger. You know, folks, when we're not making those great movies like Poultry Guys, Night of the Chicken Dead, and Terra Firma, and Tromeo and Juliet, we like to kick back and listen to Without Your Head, because Without Your Head is the greatest, the greatest entertainment on the face of the earth. 
Yes, listen to Without Your Head. The Troma Team does, and the Troma Team's been around for 35 years. Welcome back to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm still Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Dylan Mars Greenberg of the upcoming Shakespeare Shitstorm from Troma. It's very cool to be here. Hi. Hi, everyone. Oh, yes. For people who don't know, which how can they not know? Can you give them an idea of what Shakespeare Shitstorm is? Shakespeare Shitstorm is a new film from Troma Entertainment directed by Lloyd Kaufman. Um, and it is a retelling of, uh, the Tempest. So it's sort of a spiritual sequel to, uh, Tromeo and Juliet, which is a classic made by Lloyd in 96, I believe, or 95, 96. So this is, um, uh, it's a really nutty, crazy, probably the most obscene retelling of the Tempest, uh, ever made. It's going to be, going to be really out there. Yeah, I would like to get a meeting on the show at some point and get the spirit of William Shakespeare on the show and to find out if he is proud of the Lloyd Kaufman versions of his plays. I I think he would be. I think he would be because um, Shakespeare is actually a character in the film. And mm-hmm. he said that this is everything that Shakespeare was meant to be. It's I think it's only recently that Shakespeare was kind of turned into the symbol of high class uh, literature and this, you know, this, this high regarded playwright, you know, the the plays were for the people. And I think that the people have always sort of wanted the same thing. You know, I feel like Shakespeare's plays in the day were the trauma films of today. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that, that's very well possible. Very well possible. But I bet there's more shit in this one. Yes, there's a lot of shit, um, most of which falls on uh, both my character and me, since I'm playing the character. Right, right, right. And it, and, and it, it's I assume it's uh, Hollywood. It's movie shit. It's not. It's not the real deal. Unless you're. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's your thing. I don't know. I believe that it was fake shit. Uh-huh. Do you know Definitely what goes? In a, in, in, uh-huh. Yeah. Do you know what goes into making it? Yeah. Uh, Well, there were different substances that were used to make um, to make uh, different textures of shit. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the things we were in two different countries. Um, I'm also oh, I'm also here with Nori Zander, by the way. Hey, Nori, I'm on a podcast right now. Hi, Nori is a a very incredible animator, and we're actually working together as we speak. Um, So so we shot the film in two countries. Um, We shot it in America. We shot scenes in New York City, and we also shot scenes in Albania. So for Albania, um, I think it was old food. Which uh-huh. um, which uh, became pretty disgusting after maybe the fourth hour that it was on my body. Uh-huh. Why Albania? Then, um, because we were able to get a boat there. No, oh, okay. it's very cheap to. Sh- it's very <laughs> cheap to shoot on a boat in Albania. All right, I'll keep that in mind for future future yeah. reference. Um. And um, 
Yeah, there was a big tax break or something. Right, it, right. it really, they, and they were very nice. It was, uh, but the, but the Stroma is the first, one of the first um, movie companies to do that to shoot a film in Albania. Mm. Um, so yeah, and then in America, I, I think it was oatmeal. Doug Sackman made this shit in America. It was a little easier to deal with mm-hmm. in America because Doug Sackman, uh, he really knows his shit, so to speak. <laughs> Right, right. So uh, and I know the effects for almost every Truman movie since probably Citizen Toxie. Oh, nice. I know you've I know you've worked with Trauma before. So, like, how did it all come about? How did you first get involved uh, in Trauma with Trauma? Um, I was a huge Trauma fan, and in high school, I basically called them every day until they gave me an internship. (laughs) Uh-huh. Um, and then I ended up becoming, I believe, the youngest ever full-time employee at Troma because I got hired to work there when I was 17, and I was their editor for three years. So instead of going to college, I worked at Troma. Um, and um, I had a smaller role in Return to Newcomb High, too. Yeah. And then when Shakespeare Shipstorm came around, I did a reading for... Uh, Trini, who's basically the retelling of Trinculo, and I basically said, listen, I feel like I'm born to play this role. It's so outlandish and, and ridiculous, and I just feel like I just feel like I, I, I have to do it. I'll do anything to do it. So I went through, like, five or six auditions, um, and it, one of the auditions, I actually took um, fudge cakes, like Little Debbie fudge cakes, and I actually audition by just smashing them against my face to show that I could do it. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think I sold them. I think I sold them on it, and they yeah. agreed to uh, have me on. Yeah. <laughs> just like any movie, basically. Yeah, just like any movie, basically. So what were your favorite trauma movies, actually, as a kid? Um... I mean, probably Toxic Avenger and Class of Newcomb High. Um, I really like Death by Temptation. Lloyd produced that one, didn't direct that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Terraformer is great. Actually, my godmother, Reverend Jen, was in Terraformer. Oh. Um, really, so I really like Terraformer because that's, I feel like, more of a punk film, so to speak. Um, yeah, I think those, maybe, I think my big three are probably Toxic Avenger. Um, Newcomb High and Terror Fervor. Mm-hmm. Now you said you you know you went instead of going to college you know you did um, did the movie. Now do you mean that like literally or do you mean like you saw you saw that as yeah. like your film school? I saw it as my film school, but I literally I didn't mean I I was going to go to college and I didn't, mm-hmm. and I went to show and I went to show myself because I didn't. I was sitting in front of my student loan papers literally. The same day I got the offer to become a full-time employee from an intern. All right. Like the same day. So I chose, I chose trauma. I literally had one day to decide and I chose trauma. Yeah. It speaks highly of American um, education that if it's financially smarter to, to be in a trauma film than to take a student. Oh, absolutely. Oh yes, Absolutely. It's not financially smart to go to film school anymore. No, no. It's financially. So, I'm not sure if it's financially smart to be in a trauma movie either, but it's kind of where it's going. Yeah. The more one, the more fun option, and two, the uh, more economical option. 
right, right. So you returned, obviously, to, to trauma movies. So you enjoyed your experience with trauma because I have a lot of people who work with trauma, and it's usually one of two things. Like yourself, they had a really good time, or uh, they they like say they tell you don't ever work for trauma. Oh no! I mean, I um, I. I love working with Stroma and I would love to be in their next film. If they, if Lloyd makes another film, I'd love to be in it for sure. Yeah. So he is saying this is, was his, his last you know movie that he's going to direct. Yeah. I feel like Lloyd is, is such a, a, uh, he's such a phenomenon. He's such an unstoppable force. I don't necessarily know if that's true. Um, but I don't. I also don't know if he's developing something else or not. I just know that he's he's uh, unstoppable. Mm-hmm. So when you first meet Lloyd, is he is he like you expect? Depends on what you expect. <laughs> well, I guess it was he, he was, like you expected? Yeah. Um. Well, the first time I actually met him was at, at Comic Con because I bought a ticket to Comic Con just to meet Lloyd. I didn't. I don't really read comics or play video games or anything. Uh-huh. So I really just went to meet Lloyd. That's like the only reason I went. <laughs> yeah. um, but, um, I mean, he was really nice when I met him there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that he's a very, I mean, I think, you know, people probably meet Lloyd the character first and then Lloyd the human second. What is the what is the difference? I've met Lloyd many times. So what what is the difference of between... Well, the difference is that Lloyd the human being has a wide range of emotions because he's mm-hmm. a person. He's <laughs> right. not a uh, he's not just a, you know, not a he portrays a character which yeah. to an extent he is a cartoon mm-hmm. character, but you know, he also is a human being. Yeah. And um, I think once you know him for long enough, you understand that he is a human being. Yeah. What's As he I like think to you work... do with most people. Sure. What's he like to work for? When you like doing um, a movie? As, you're saying as opposed to doing a film? Like what? Like work in the office? No, no. no. At, when you're working on a movie with him, what's he like to work for when he's directing oh. you? Well, I'll tell you this. He's, I mean, he doesn't, he barely eats anything while he's, while he's directing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think to an extent that's to, it's a demonstration of his strength, but he doesn't, he really doesn't eat very much on the set and, and he's very focused on just getting it done. Um, and, uh, you know, there's no bullshit. There's no, like, there's no, like, you know, every cent goes onto the screen and he makes sure of it. Yeah. Did, um, were you a fan of, of, uh, the Tempest before, uh, before doing the movie? Yeah. I mean, I was a pretty, I really liked Shakespeare. I mean, probably my favorite Shakespeare play is a Midsummer Night's Dream because it's so absurd and fantasy based. And the kind of films I make are, they border on horror, but they're also, sort of fantasy based. Like I, like my films that I direct don't necessarily have a lot of gore. Um, and, and I like the fantasy element and the supernatural element of horror more. 
So I think I was always attracted to a Midsummer Night's Dream for that reason. But, you know, once the project got off the ground, I watched the um, 1960 uh, television version of The Tempest because that's actually Lloyd's favorite with Roddy McDowell as Ariel. It's a great performance. He's in such an incredible, strange outfit. And um, and I think that's when I, I really I really got why Lloyd was going for this. Yeah. Interesting. So, oh, how long of a shoot was was uh, Shakespeare shitstorm? So we had a week in Albania, and then two months in America. Mm-hmm. So overall, it was about. Uh, I mean, all of the time actually combined together would I would say is about two months in one week. But uh, there was like a, I had like a three week break between Albania and New York. So it was a, like a kind of like, it was basically the whole summer last year. Yeah. Well, how, is it grueling? What's the experience like to work on a trauma movie? I mean, yeah, to an extent it was, it was kind of, I mean, I, I gotta say the shit was difficult to deal with mm-hmm. and there'll be this behind the scenes documentary and that'll probably show at some point I got, I got a little bit, um, um, I got a little bit, um, testy in Albania, I think with the shit. Um, like I got, I got like a little bit peeved and probably was not being as much of a team player as I could at one point. Um, because it was just so, I mean, it was physically, just hard like it was physically like, because it was like i mean i was being sprayed with a hydraulic pump full of shit um like take after take after take and it was and in, in albania is like desert weather so it's really hot and then in the uh, until the sun goes down it's very cold so um but i gotta say Lloyd actually, before we even did it, Lloyd put himself in the front line and they sprayed him with the shit first before it happened to us. So he does that to demonstrate to his actors that anything they'll do, he'll do. Yeah. So he's not, you know, being on this. He's not. I mean, the idea of it happening is cruel but he's not subjecting us to a cruelty he wouldn't subject himself to. So he's, he's definitely, he's not a hypocrite, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've never seen someone so committed, you know, and like he really cares about everything he does. And I think that when you hear the word trauma, you know, often you hear the term B movie or exploitation movie or schlock thrown around. Mm-hmm. but it's not like Lloyd is making these in two weeks and pumping them out for some market. He's making them because he genuinely cares about the content mm-hmm. and he'll spend as much time on them and as much money on them, honestly, as he feels is necessary to make it a quality film. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's a big difference between him and some other, uh, you know, "Quote unquote B movie directors, which I actually wouldn't call Lloyd from B movies. Mm-hmm. And some I, I personally have always enjoyed about trauma movies are sure you know we're playing around with all the shit and all this stuff and it's crazy and obviously that's mm-hmm. part of the movie, but all of them always have like social or, or political commentary in them. There's always you know oh, a lot more to the movie. Lloyd's committed to that. Yeah, 
Yeah, Lloyd no, is one hundred percent committed to having it be about a message that he genuinely believes in. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can hear me okay, by the way, right? Yeah, there's a little bit of a crackle, but it's it's not too bad. A little bit of a crackle. Okay, that might be because of my headphones. Hold on. Okay. Um. Uh, how, how about crack? We're crackle free now. I'm crackle free. You are. Okay. Great. So now yeah, we're gonna I'd redo say... the whole thing. No, I'm just oh, okay. Wait, no, I'm just kidding. No, not the whole. Thing. Okay. No, no, I was just, I was just messing around. Yeah, I... oh, okay. I mean, yeah. So I'd say he's very committed to actually, you know, discussing and portraying issues that he personally believes in, mm-hmm. and I feel that shows, you know, that he actually gives a fuck about about it. You know what I'm saying? That he actually is going to the extent to to have done this for you know over thirty years, um, making each film about something that he cares about. Now, since I haven't seen the Shakespeare shitstorm, uh, do you know like what are some like uh, the messages of the movie? Because I know when I watch a trailer, I know they talk about social justice warriors is in there. So, uh, you know what kind of things. Well, the social justice warriors is is just a, a part of it because it's what it's about is first of all that there's pharmaceutical companies pushing you know barely tested medications on mm-hmm. on people um, on young people especially and then I think to an extent um, with the social justice thing and and while you know. I can't necessarily say I agree with every single political point made in the entire film. I will say this. I think that there's an online culture right now of, um, you know, privileged white kids um, who, one of whom I portray, portray, um, they're usually college educated and they have sort of a superiority complex. They're well-versed in academic vernacular and they're, and, and they kind of and and they are obsessed with getting one over on someone who's less academically versed, mm-hmm. more so than actually fighting for something that's you know worth fighting for or contributing in a tangible or physical way. Um, so it, it the online activism to an extent, and, and and I think that some of it is great. I think in fact a lot of it is more time on firing it versus you know if you if you have if you have if you were born into less privilege then you are you know you you can't you have to focus on your survival first and foremost you can't focus on getting people to love to work um you'd experience in a real life setting but without the benefit of actually you know um, of actually uh, causing, or or I guess physically changing, or showing up, or or actually performing an action, a physical action in real life that's mm-hmm. genuinely beneficial to the world or to you know those less privileged than you. Granted, I, 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 and this on the flip side, I think that. There's a lot of fundraisers and there's a lot of um, 
there's, you know, housing networks and, and, and fundraisers and stuff online that you wouldn't have been able to have 20 years ago that mm-hmm. where you can actually share fundraisers or, 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 you know, network with other people who are able to house uh, someone who doesn't have a, a home at the moment or stuff like that is actually really incredible. Uh, yeah. And and so I, I don't think it's all bad. I think I think like anything that the Internet is a tool like fire, so it can be used to create or, or it can be used to destroy. So I think that I think that some people will see the movie and they'll go, oh, this is criticizing all people who are left wing or all right. people who believe in social justice. And I don't think that's the message. I think the message is that we can't just listen to people who are on you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not listen to that don't necessarily have the most follower count or the blue check mark next to their name. We, but we have to listen to people who've lived the real experiences instead of talking over them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the idea of that either you're left, you're right, and then you can't criticize your own side, uh, I don't think that's a, a correct way to look at things. So, even if you are left wing, doesn't mean you because I'm a very liberal guy. But that doesn't mean you agree with everyone that's liberal. No, I don't, and I, I don't, and yeah, and I think that that's that's another thing is I think that in online activism you have this constant, you know, uh, academic discourse and argument going on, which you also have in 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 real life. But again, it's. It, it's it festers because there's you don't have to look someone else in the eye necessarily, and I mm-hmm. feel like that. Um, and honestly, I feel like when you don't have to look someone in the eye, you have the opportunity to be less empathetic. Yeah, very true. You said about the academic thing, but th- that's definitely a thing too. Online is the idea of if I'm more educated. Uh, you know, so uh, someone who's like in in the middle of America or something, they're automatically like dumb, you know, and that's and yeah, well, that makes some, it, that it, makes it, people it, mad, it, obviously. Mm-hmm. It does, yeah, no, it makes it, it, and and I think that some of that attitude, although I feel like this, especially not necessarily with far left uh, social justice activists, but I'd actually say especially with sort of uh, middle aged to older sort of upper class liberals pushed this attitude of, of, um, of, uh, you know, superiority, um, that I think is what partially contributed to Trump winning the election. And I think that unfortunately Hillary kind of symbolized this, this sort of false uh, sense of superiority he he talks like a blue collar guy from Queens mm-hmm. to an extent because he, he is from Queens. In fact, I think my dad has a friend who like played in the same little league team as him. And so I can see how, you know, you have one side telling you, you know, you're, 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 you're a guy from middle America. You want to sit down and, and watch a game of football and eat a hamburger. This is, I'm not making this up, by the way. This is an article I read. Mm-hmm. But it's called The Hamburger Problem, actually. In, in, <laughs> in political discussion, this is called The Hamburger yeah. Problem. And that, you know, you have, you know, uh, someone considering themselves superior to you telling you that the hamburger has preservatives in it and that the meat industry 
is destroying the climate, then you have the other side telling you that climate change isn't real and that you're not doing anything wrong to eat the hamburger. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you're going to go with the side telling you that you're good because you, you don't want to you – you've, you've been working your ass off, you know, probably at a manual labor job for five, six days a week. And you just want to spend your fucking Sunday eating a hamburger and watching football. So there's this, you know, very smug sense of superiority that unfortunately alienates a lot of the a lot of uh, of people in most of America. And it's really a shame because I feel like if if there was, I feel like if there was more of an understanding of, of the differences in who we are as people. And I feel like when I say that, it's kind of a blanket statement. And granted, I certainly don't know everything, but I feel like if, if there was more of an, a common understanding between people, then we wouldn't necessarily have quite the, the, um, I mean, you know, I think white supremacist, uh, government that we have right now. Yeah. It's uh, I don't re- I don't really remember a time like this uh in, in my in my days. It's uh, well, I would. It's very that, like it's you're this side or you're this side. Su- I would say that white supremacy has been alive and well in America, mm-hmm. but it's becoming a lot more unblanketed and prevalent. And certainly, you know, in the last few years, I've experienced a lot more. Uh, blatant anti-Semitism than I have um, previously Um, in terms of uh, in terms of um, uh, like like for instance my uh, I actually um, went to the synagogue I went to school and when I was a child was recently defaced and um, uh, people uh, spray painted swastikas and, and death threats and stuff on the temple. And this is a, a temple where, where very small children go because I went to preschool there. So, so that relic of my childhood was defaced with, you know, violent and anti-Semitic slurs to the point where they had to shut down because they were afraid that someone might come back with a gun. Um, so wow. I would say that's definitely something that's born out of, you know, our current political climate. Um, yeah. But I also feel like it's a symptom of the disease and there was sort of a natural progression of that. Oh, anyway, this is without your head podcast. Now it should be called, uh, I don't know, <laughs> the political podcast. It's yeah. becoming oh. a lot. Right. We went from, I, I, from I, I shit to, uh, political yeah. Before? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it depends on the guest, you know, Wherever the wherever the conversation goes. Yeah, well, I think it's a discussion that should be had. But I guess what I want to clarify is that I don't, I don't think that the film is is. I think that some people might interpret it as a sort of blanket mockery of uh, the left wing, but I actually don't view it that way. I actually think that it's it's a it's a critique of the left wing from a, uh, for the most part, left-wing perspective. Right. And I'm not going to say I agree with every single um, 
point made in the film, but mm-hmm. I I'm happy to say I stand for what I just said. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, when you read the script, what, was it evident that that was there? And, and, and did you have any issues yeah. with anything in the script? Um, I had some concerns, but I thought, I actually think it's an important film. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I need to kind of afford to Lloyd the uh, creative control that he needs. So I, I also don't necessarily think me participating or acting in a film is symbolic of all of my political views. Mm-hmm. So I, um, for the most part, I think I agreed with a lot of, a lot of what was, uh, what was said in, in the, uh, in the film. Yeah. Which came first, you uh, directing movies or you uh, as an actor? Well, I would say technically me as an actor, because I was actually a child actor. In fact, one of my first roles was I was six or seven, and I played Henry Lee Lucas, the serial killer, um, <laughs> on A&E Biography. Okay. As a child. Yeah. Um, and there's a where I get my eye stabbed out. Hmm. Um, so that was my first exposure to horror, was, was at six or seven on a set with fake blood on national television, <laughs> getting my eye stabbed out. Uh-huh. Um, and what, what happened was I actually auditioned for the remake of The Omen. And I think I was one of the finalists, but they went with whoever they got, who I, I don't know who his name was, but he was very good. And I think at that point I was much too tall and I had very long hair and thick eyebrows. And it's just, it's not what they were looking for. Um, mm-hmm. But after that, I stopped acting as a child um, for probably a decade or more. And mm-hmm. um, I became more interested in directing. So I directed my first feature film at 17, and I've now done six feature films. And I have my seventh. Uh, we just wrapped shooting, and it's in about 50, 60% completed with post-production. Um mm-hmm. And that will be um, coming out uh, relatively soon. It's called Spirit Riser. And uh, Michael Madsen is in it. Lloyd's in it, of course. Um, Shuri Curry from The Runaways is in it. Kansas and Parker Bowling from uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino's new film, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Or Amanda Flowers, who is also the star of Shitstorm, is one of the stars of Spirit Riser. Um, mm-hmm. And Jesse Youngbay, the fight coordinator from from Shitstorm is actually one of the stars of my film because he's, I mean, basically the closest you you get to a real life ninja. Um, so so that's what I'm working on. And, I, and in addition to that, I'm also working on a, a film called The Bathtub, which is actually my first short film since I was a teenager. And that's I'm actually in the room right now with the animator, uh, the animator of The Bathtub, Nori Zander, and we're working on some of the animations for that. And that's also almost done the entire thing was shot on green screen. It's a 15 minute film. It stars Bob Burt from Sonic Youth. He was the drummer for Sonic Youth. Uh, Lloyd yeah. is also in the, film. he actually has a pretty substantial role and the entire thing was shot on green screen. And then all of the sets were miniatures that we built and then tracked to the actors. And we shot it mm-hmm. handheld too. It's not just, you know, steady shots on, on, on clean backgrounds. It's, it's very, it was intense work and it actually, it's taking just as long to make as a uh, feature film. Oh, interesting. Like, we've been at it 
like two years. Yeah. So how, how did how did you uh, get to direct your uh, first feature film when you were seventeen? How did I get to direct it? Yeah. Well, I guess you well, could just I, go do it. I but like, uh, how, how, right? Well, how does that come about? How does it come about uh, when you're seventeen to direct? Well, a movie? I, I think that I was always of the philosophy that you don't need a budget really at all to make a film. Um. Uh, I, um, so I, I was actually just watching this movie that I really liked. It was called Wars, Menstrual Envy, um, by Nick Zed, who I, I really admire. He's an underground, very experimental filmmaker who was very influential in the no wave movement. And that same day, I just decided I wanted to shoot some kind of abstract stuff for a film with my friend and I went over his house and we shot about 30, 40 minutes of footage in a day. And I just sort of, I think at that point I was like, okay, well I want to add a few more things to it. So I think when all was edited, it maybe was like 40 minutes. And I said, well, why don't I just add 30 minutes to it and make a 70 minute film? Yeah. So I did that and I wouldn't necessarily say it was a great movie. I would say that as a video art piece, it's, it's interesting, but it, it definitely wasn't, you know, my best work, but I was, you know, it was just, yeah. the fact is I made it, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think once I did that, and this is why I always tell people that I think stream of consciousness creation of art is really important because when I, I made that, I think it gave me the template of how to create future films that would be a little more together. So then each movie I made after that, I put a little more time into and a little more, there was always more of a plot in each one because I, you know, I I think my two favorite kinds of films are movies like, you know, Lloyd's films that, you can actually understand, you know, the plot in Lloyd films are there, you know, they, they have pretty fleshed out stories, mm-hmm. but I also really like very nonlinear and strange art films. So I think that I started at the latter end of the spectrum and now I'm starting to move right into the middle of that. I, I think that's where I, I have been for a while is that now I'm kind of more in the middle. And so as a result, I think my films are now more watchable as movies. Um, and that you don't necessarily have to be in the art house crowd to, to understand or, or like them. Although um, that's sometimes been the criticism of my movies is that they're, they're a little confusing. I, I directed a, a movie called Amityville Vanishing Point And a lot of horror fans, I think were, not necessarily pleased with how strange it was mm-hmm. um, because I, I was trying to tell a story through facial expressions and through movements, but I was also trying to make a horror film. Yeah. And so I think that some people went in expecting a more conventional horror film and then were, yeah. became very cross. I, I would think part of that is because of the Amityville name. And so it has a built-in audience um, of fans of Amityville horror films. Yeah. 
So, you know, well, I'm saying, but yeah. I think that it's important for everyone to get exposed to something they haven't seen. Oh, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I, 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 that, see, uh, I, I think on, that sorry. sometimes stepping out of your comfort zone is a valuable experience. Mm-hmm. I see uh, Jacob Reynolds from uh, Gummo was in uh, your first movie. Yeah, That's he was in my first so, feature. Yeah, how did you? Uh, how did that come about? Did you know him? You know what? When I was 15, 16 years old, I actually revised a 248-page fantasy novel he wrote, which has not been released yet. Um, and I also don't know how good of a job I did, but I did correct, I think, <laughs> all the grammar mistakes in the book. Uh-huh. Um, and he... Uh, so I guess I, I mean I wouldn't say it like he owed me one, but I would I'd say he you know he was a nice guy and he um and he uh, actually filmed himself in his home and then what we did was we actually filmed him through a television and um and that's how uh well, yeah I mean it was pretty cool I got to work with you know one of my favorite actors from one of my favorite movies on my very first feature. Yeah, um, that's pretty wild. Is uh, Glamorous available anywhere for uh, people to watch easily? Glamorous? Um, I it's, it's on YouTube for free. You can watch it okay, on YouTube. Okay, cool. I'm interested to watch um, it. Yeah. Um, if, if you want, I think it's a good example of sort of... I think it's good for young filmmakers to see because I shot parts of it on an iPhone, parts of it I shot on borrowed cameras from friends. So I think it's a perfect example of how to make some a, 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 a sort of a film on on absolutely no budget. I mean zero. Yeah. Now, uh, cool as hell too. I, I need to bring up because I'm also in cool as hell too. So it's very very cool. Yeah. Uh, We're both in. Cool yeah. So how how did you get involved in cool as hell too with uh with the great James Balsamo? I I've just been a fan of his stuff. And, you know, I think we just know each other because of, you know, I'm in, I'm involved with trauma. He does, you know, he has acid bath productions. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we, uh, we just, um, I think I messaged him and I just said, Hey, I'd really like to be in one of your movies at, at some point. And he sent me the script for cool as hell too. And so I took the role of cousin Eddie. And mm-hmm. so I'm now in his film as cousin Eddie. And I yeah. hopefully in, in more because I, I like what he's doing. I think that he has a very independent spirit. Yeah. yeah I'm really looking forward to his new one. I think Not to say his other movies aren't real movies, but it seems like his first like uh, uh, big movie, I think. It Wants it Blood. Wants Blood? Yeah. yeah, that looks great. It's really, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, uh, Eric Roberts. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and the lady from... Uh, Thriller, I, I forget her name, but I'm a I'm a fan of hers. Um, mm-hmm. I know you mean too. I, I the name escapes me at the moment, but yeah. But, um, now, do you, have you seen the finished film Cool as Hell too? I actually haven't yet. I okay. I'm, I look forward to seeing it though. All I've, right, uh, all right. I've just been really busy. I honestly, I've been in. I've been so uh, consumed with post production on two different films that I've, I've been a little bit scattered at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. And I haven't actually had time to really sit down and, and watch a movie, unfortunately, as much as I, which is, which, which is my favorite activity. So it pains <laughs> me greatly. Yes, um, yes. 
But, uh, so, so, so see, not only was uh, Kansas Bowling in one of your movies that you're, but you're in uh, her upcoming movie. Yes, yeah, I, I, I see that you uh, are an IMDb fan. Um, well, yeah, it's I, open. I, <laughs> I'm in, uh, yeah, her upcoming film, and I also produced her upcoming film, and she produced mine. So we actually produced each other's feature films. Um, and basically she produced all the LA scenes for my movie. I produced all the New York scenes for her movie and helped her with some of the, the cast and, uh, and, um, locations for, uh, for that, all the, yeah. for all the New York stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I gotta say her new movie is going to be really, really shocking and it's going to, I think it's an effective film that's going to send shockwaves through the world. Mm. It's that good. Cool. Um, it's about um, violence against women and it's about misogyny. And it's also very, um, but at the same time, it's also very, uh, it, it's like an authentic Mondo exploitation film. It's really shot on 16 millimeter. The cinematography is beautiful. I mean, gorgeous. It really, you're, at, at many points, I forgot I wasn't watching a film from the 60s when I was looking at some dailies with Kansas. Um, it's, it's really going to be incredible. Yeah. Now, uh, you guys are similar in a way because you both uh, you know, directed movies at a very young age. Yeah, that's why I think we initially vibed. You know, we met through mm-hmm. trauma. Uh, because mm-hmm. she directed BC Butcher, and um, yeah, I think just we kind of both have very similar work ethics. Even though we both, I think, are creating slightly different kinds of films, we both have very similar. Yeah, I, I would say just very similar work ethics and very similar philosophies on filmmaking, and so it just gives us a lot to talk about. And I think just the second we started talking, it was just like. I'm so glad I met you and you're my friend. Like you're just such an interesting person. Yeah. Uh, have you uh, became friends with other people working with through trauma, you know, and not necessarily just friends, oh, but yeah. people you I work mean, with. John, John Brennan is a really fantastic person. I'm friends with through trauma. Um, mm-hmm. uh, are, are you familiar with his stuff? He, he, uh, he produced and created a Kabuki man's cocktail corner, the series. Uh, that no, Roma, uh, I know the I know the original movie, but no, I, I'm not actually familiar with the series. Oh man, the Boogeyman's Cocktail Corner. Do you like Adult Swim stuff, like the Eric Andre Show, or like Tim? Yeah, Man? yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Tim so and Eric. Kind of, it's like that, but with Kabuki Man. And uh-huh. So actually, our initial friendship came about when I was still an intern, and John was doing the first season, and he gave some footage to me. And he said, "Listen." I've seen some of your stuff and I feel like you can do really crazy stuff with editing. Cause I think I'm almost a little bit like a digital Terry Gilliam, although maybe that's tooting my own horn a little bit, but I uh-huh. do really, I can do really crazy stuff with, with editing and animation. Mm-hmm. So he gave me a bunch of footage that, you know, I think unedited might've been a little slow, although it was funny. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, turn this into something really kooky. Um, and it was a lot of interview segments with Kabuki Man interviewing different bands and segments. So I just, and he said, you have full creative control. Just go wild. So I sent him back just these like insane mishmashes where I made people's heads explode and people's eyeballs floating around. And 
I would start remixing and auto-tuning their voices into songs and, and like making these little cartoons that would fly around. And Don was like, Oh my God, like, I love this. <laughs> so um, that I think, you know, started a creative uh, partnership that, uh, you know, we, we did a lot of stuff together creatively when we worked at Trauma together. And yeah. now he's gone on, and now he's producing uh, Joe Bob Briggs' uh, Drive-In show. On oh, Sunday. really? Yeah, um, that's a great he, show. Yes, and, also, and not only that, but he's in the show, and he does the theme song for the show. Oh, nice. Um, and I'm so happy he's finally, and I, I told him years ago, I said, John, you need a gold jacket. I also told him he needed a handlebar mustache, but I was wrong about that. But he got the gold jacket, <laughs> uh-huh. and, and, and and now I feel like he has this brand with his with his music that you know he's almost like a novelty songwriter and now he finally has a hit novelty song because he did the theme song for the show and it's out on on vinyl from ship to shore records because you know that show is so popular it broke shutter's servers yeah Um, that's pretty wild yeah so he so he did it you know he really uh i think we're all achieving our dreams in in one silly way or another yeah yeah. So I'm really, I was very I'm really happy to see Joe Bob come back. Yeah, very happy to see Joe Bob come back. A guy I grew up watching. And oh yeah, it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so good. I love. I have a, a an old VHS of his uh, drive-in theater of uh, "Bad Girls Go to Hell" by Doris Wishman. Who <laughs> I love Doris Wishman, and she. Uh, are you familiar with Doris Wishman? No, I'm not. You should be because she's incredible. She was the only, Bad, no. pretty much only really tenured uh, filmmaker making exploitation films in the 60s who was a woman. Mm. Um, you know, and some of the films were very graphic and, and you know, he made nudity films and, and, you know, violent films about women in trouble and, and but she also made some very, very, oh, I, you know what? This, there are some good ones. She made uh, two films starring Chesty Malone who was a woman with a 73-inch uh, yeah. bust. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, from, from watching the films, they might have even been natural. But she, um, she made two films with her. I think one is called Double Agent 73, and it's about... It, it's like a low-budget James Bond where she kills people by... Oh, no, that's not the one where she kills people by smothering them with, with her tits. But she, did, she has a camera in her tits, and, uh-huh. she, she, and she kills... Uh, criminals and then takes pictures of them with her tits because there's a camera in her tits. Uh-huh. And then she made a film with her that this is the best one. It's called Deadly Weapons. Mm-hmm. And Chesty Malone, her the mobsters kill her husband. And she this was made in the early seventies. And she goes on this rampage, killing the men who killed her husband by smothering them with her tits. <laughs> and it was directed by I think a very forward and and eccentric thinking woman doris wishman and she's one of my heroes um but uh yeah joe bob Briggs introduced me to that because he has a nice he did a presentation of her film bad girls go to hell which is a, actually i think my my other face that and deadly weapons are probably my two favorite wishman films mm-hmm. sort of i'm gonna seek these up relevant Check i out. think so I, too that's why yeah. i'm going on this tangent because i, I uh-huh. think it's relevant to the pop any anyone listening to check out Doris Wishman's films because if you like 60s and 70s exploitation films, these are mm-hmm. like the holy grail. They're that good. Uh, I will I will check these out. I, I like these recommendations. 
So yeah, when I, Spirit I, when Spirit Riser's finished, like uh, what are your plans with it? Okay, so I don't my films have become a little notorious for being very long. Mm-hmm. So I don't know exactly how long it's going to be, but it may end up being released both as a film theatrical cut version that would be cut down to, you know, hopefully around 90 minutes. And if it ends up being long enough, I might actually turn it into a series where I split it into several episodes Mm -hmm. and release it on Amazon prime or, um, you know, I mean, or, you know, if, if a distributor is interested, it does have some, you know, really, really great talent in it. So if a distributor is interested, it'll be whatever the distributor wants to do. But, and of course, you know, I mean, I'll try the festival circuit and, all of that stuff. It's a, it's a totally independent production. It's being produced by um, uh, myself along with um, True Groove Productions. And I believe this is their first feature film. They're a record label. Mm-hmm. And um, they, uh, they are uh, producing this with me. And yeah. um, so, you know, we're all just going to see where it goes. But I think, you know, there's a lot of really uh, great people in it and behind it. So, you know, I'm hoping it, it really gets out there. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a question about, you said your movies have a tendency to be long. Uh, do you do your own yeah. editing? Well, until this film I did, actually. Mm-hmm. This film I'm co-editing with uh, with another editor who, uh, actually, I knew I know through Trauma, Phil Skokos, and he he uh, works for Trauma, and now he, he edits reality shows for television. Mm-hmm. And I realized, the only other editor who would be able to wrap their head around what I'm doing is a reality show editor because uh-huh. they deal with unscripted dialogue. And my films are very, sometimes tend to become very stream of consciousness. Because, uh-huh. um, you know, I'm just as inspired by Lynch as I'm inspired by Lloyd. So I, um, he got it and he was able to, to edit them in such a way to where um, he was able to kind of make a story out of it. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, but my, all of my previous films I edited myself. So the other six, mm-hmm. I, I did myself. Yeah. I just, so in my part. mind, I always think that that would uh, make something longer because you don't want to, this is how I'd be if I made a movie. I would it's probably, I, would, no, I, I wouldn't want to edit something out that I like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to an extent, that's why I, I, I would like to, if it, if it ends up being very long, cause I'm my fear is that it might end up being like three hours long because I've been shooting it for two years. It's the longest right. I've ever taken on a film, but I'm happy I did it because it's going to be much higher quality now. Um, and, um, uh, as a result, I think that it could end up being that length, but who knows? I mean, I might, cause there were some scenes I thought would be very long and I edited them and they only ended up being like a minute long. So it might end up being a normal length of a film, but yeah, it, it's true. I mean, you don't, you, I, I never want to kill my darlings. And, um, uh, by the way, is is Gene Snitsky on this podcast as well, or is he, he after is? He's he's after you, and so we only have about four minutes here. Then we have to go. Not because I'm not enjoying talking, but okay. he is going to be no, calling in here. No, I understand. Sure. 
I wasn't sure if, if we'd be on at the same time or if, if it was. Oh, I that's see. cool that he's after me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's cool that he's that he's after me. I, I'm excited to hear what he has to say because I've, uh, you know, Katie Corcoran from Troma. She's in a hundred acres of hell, and I've, I, oh, I really? heard what she was telling about the story. So I'm interesting. I'm interested to hear, you know, what he has to say about his new film. Um, All right, cool. I didn't know if you were a big wrestling fan. You were excited that he was on. That's, uh, well, was my gonna... my father, uh-huh. um, actually, uh, is one of the foremost authorities on wrestling history, and he. Uh, wrote the best-selling New York Times best-selling book uh, to be the man, uh, which is uh, Ric Flair's biography um, that he wrote with Ric Flair. So it's Ric Flair and, and my dad wrote it together. And he also co-wrote the wrestling official WWE wrestling encyclopedia. Okay, which I have a copy. Which, if people don't know, I do without your head horror radio, and also do in your head wrestling radio. So I'm a big wrestling yeah. fan. It's interesting. Me too. Well, I, I grew up. I mean, I was like, it was like I lived in a wrestling house. I, I, when yeah. I worked for the Iron Peak when I was uh, twelve. I would run little errands for him, and then later I ended up uh, assisting him when his documentary uh, The Sheik came out. And I was, oh. uh, I was a production, I was We've, a production assistant on that. Yeah. I, um, we do have this on. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, let's go. I don't have all night. <laughs> Well, what? we are finishing up here with with uh, with Dylan, but we do have the next guest oh. here. Gene Snisky is on the line, and you were just talking about him, Dylan. Uh, Gene Snisky, this is Dylan Mars Greenberg. Oh, hello, 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 hello. How are you guys this evening? Very are you good. up there in Massachusetts by any chance? I am in Massachusetts. <laughs> Dylan is in New York, I believe. Yeah, I'm in oh, New York. Okay. All right. Well, we're well, just gonna well, let Dylan go. But uh, right. he was just talking about uh, uh, a friend of his is in your movie. Yeah, oh, yeah? Uh, Katie that? Corcoran. Oh, uh, she's Cor- awesome. Catherine. Yeah. 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 Maybe you should get her name right if it's such a great friend of yours, huh? <laughs> what? Sorry, what? I said maybe you should get her name right if she's such a great friend of yours, right? Her name. I'm sorry. I just I can't hear you. Her name. What? Uh, he said Hello. He should probably get her. <laughs> Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Well, we're going to let Dylan go, and I really enjoyed talking to Dylan. We'd like oh, to have you back. Right. 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 Well, I, Dylan, I, I, hey, hello, Katie. goodbye. Yeah. Uh, Shakespeare <laughs> Shitstorm with Dylan Greenberg will be coming out soon, and he also has uh, uh, his own movies. Spirit Riser Spirit will be Riser. finishing soon. Yep. Yeah. And where can people follow you, Dylan, to find out what you're up to? Well, you can follow me at my Instagram, which is just Dylan Mars Greenberg, and my Facebook page, which is also Dylan Mars Greenberg. And um, I think those are probably the best. Uh, yeah, those are probably the best ways to follow me. All right. Thank you, Dylan. Have a good night, man. Thank good you. night, Dylan. Bye. Sleep tight. Good night, Gene. Have a good interview. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. All right. Now we're not even going to go to break. We're just going to keep going here. We have Gene Snitsky on the line, former WWE superstar. He's still a superstar in my book. And he's got a new movie out, 100 Acres of Hell, which was a lot of fun. I watched it yesterday. Oh, sweet. Well, I'm very uh, honored to be here on your beautiful show. And uh, I just got done hanging out with my amazingly gorgeous wife, Carolyn, who is uh, doing her toenails as we speak. So 
All right. Oh, oh, okay. So, what was uh, was that? Was that any uh, reality there when you were into the toes on uh, in WWE? Uh, yes, I do like feet, and my my lovely wife has beautiful feet, amongst beautiful other things. So, we'll just leave it. All at right. That. Yeah, you're a very big man, so I won't say. Uh, I won't. I won't. I won't yeah. try any further. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. How did hundred of hundred acres of hell? I saw that you're 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 accredited as the uh, the writer of like the original idea. So like, mm-hmm. I guess explain that. Well, uh, one of my buddies' dad owns an elk ranch, and uh, he happened to be in town. He's a he's a landscape uh, professional, and he was in town, and he's like, "Hey, you want to go check out my dad's ranch?" I was like, "Sure." So. All the uh, time we were driving around this ranch, I was like, man, this place would be awesome for a horror movie. And then I started thinking to myself, you know, what can we do here? How can we make this happen? And then, you know, ironically, one of my buddies, uh, Jason Kerner, is, uh, you know, film producer. And had, we had talked about doing a film. And then I was like, I called him as soon as I got home. And I was like, hey, you got to come up here and see this property. It's freaking amazing. Perfect for a horror movie. We need to come up with something. So, you know, in the midst of all that, we started brainstorming. He came up without a property. We started brainstorming on my deck, having a cigar. And one thing led to another, and 100 Acres of Hell was born. And as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. Now, were you always, were you always a horror movie guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my two favorite movies to this day are uh, the original Halloween and Friday the 13th. And uh, ironically, I did a convention years ago, and my my table was set up right next to Victor Miller, and I got to talking to Victor, and he's a cigar guy as well, so we got to talking over a cigar, and I gave him the idea for this movie that we had, and, you know, told him about the synopsis, and he really, you know, took to it, and he was like, oh, send me the uh, screenplay for it. So I sent him the screenplay, he read it gave me some feedback he loved it he uh, actually did a video for us uh saying how much he loved it and uh, you know he's behind the project and all that because my original plan was to have him play in homage to uh crazy ralph in his movie i wanted him to get it you know be like the modern day crazy ralph but uh we were very fortunate to find a, a very young lady who was very good at being the crazy ralphette so uh-huh. Doing, you know, being with the uh, low budget, uh, you know, atmosphere that we had on the film, I couldn't really afford to get Victor out here and the logistics of it and all that kind of stuff. It just didn't work out, unfortunately, but that was the original plan. Yeah. So, Victor, if you're out there listening, man, I love you. You're awesome. I love your film. And Victor and I still keep in touch to this day. And, uh, you know, I can't say enough good things about how his film impacted my deviant mind back many moons ago to want to always pay homage to him and his film and the slasher films of the eighties. Cause that's basically what we tried to, you know, come up with, uh, I don't want to say a modern day slasher throwback to the eighties, but I always, uh, always loved the old eighties horror movies. And like I said, Friday the 13th has always been one of my top favorites. And, you know, ironically, like I said, I got to meet Victor and run the movie by him, and he loved it. So it was kind of, you know, my my childhood self sitting in the yeah. movie theater watching Friday the 13th kind of re, uh, re-emerged as I sat and spoke <laughs> to Victor about the film. And, yeah. you know, how cool is that to have, you know, one, awesome. of your, 
your iconic movie writers actually like the film and, and put his name behind it and then, you know, all that good stuff. So I was yeah. kind of flattered. That was cool, you know, you know, being that it arose from some crazy idea I had while driving around looking at elk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Was that it? Was that a was that a bizarre AC in Atlantic City? Yeah, as a matter of fact, okay. it was. Yeah, yep. I was there too. I actually I did some of the uh, the panels. I hosted the panels there. So uh, nice. Yeah, Victor yeah. is awesome, man. He, he uh, I can't say enough good things about him. And actually, uh, emailed him today to let him know that the film was coming out next month. And he, you know, sent his best and was super excited to hear that. And you know, so like I said, man, I can't thank him enough for creating Friday the Thirteenth because. Who knows? We might not have had a hundred acres of hell if it wasn't for Victor Miller. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, not to give away any of the movie, but uh, especially the there's an amazing fight scene at the end of the movie, an epic, an epic fight scene, and uh, that's definitely very uh, um, Friday Thirteenth inspired. I think the killer. Yeah, we uh, like I said, my my original idea for the film was to do a throwback to the '80s and have like an actual crescendo build up you know all that kind of stuff character you know suspense drama all that good stuff without showing a million different body parts flying through the air because unfortunately in the time and age that we're at now the first 30 seconds of a movie you know somebody's getting chopped into a million pieces and it's like where do you go from there you know what i mean it's like i wanted to do something where you develop develop build up you know build up the suspense build up the drama the storyline and then have the uh, the ultimate uh, finish to uh, to all that, and you know I think we set out to to uh, do that, and I think we did, man. I, I, you know I got uh, I got a lot of good feedback on the film over the course of time since it's you know been doing the film festivals and all that. We actually won a lot of awards at the film festivals. Uh, one of them you know, that I was actually in attendance at was the Philadelphia Film Festival. We won the best horror feature, so I was pretty pumped oh, about nice. that. And I had my my wife was there with me and a bunch of our friends and stuff. So that was pretty cool. That was yeah. uh, that was when I was kind of thinking to myself, man, we might actually have something. We might have something here. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that was yeah. actually like the first time I actually got to see the whole film in continuance. Mm-hmm. So, like you know. Can't say enough good things about the crew, the cast, the music. I mean, the music set it up perfectly, all the scenes. And, you know, as a horror movie fan, I kind of lost myself in the film. Like, it's, you know, it's crazy how, you know, being that I, you know, had so many hats to wear for the film. Yeah. Watching it, I actually, like, was thinking to myself, man, it's actually a really good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it really is and you know uh, not just because you're here but it, it definitely like you said it's a throwback feel to like an 80s slasher film which uh, you know a lot of people listen to the show like myself grew up with that with those kind of movies and it's fun to see a new one well i appreciate the kind words and i'm glad you guys liked it uh like yeah. i said we put a we put a lot of effort into making that feel that way and I'm glad it came across on screen like that because that's exactly what we wanted and how we wanted it to come across. And, you know, like I said, I'm I'm super proud of it. Very happy with how it came out. I think a lot of people will be surprised because most people only know me from wrestling. They don't know that, I, you know, I've played pro football. I have a management degree from the University of Missouri. You know, more than just a wrestler. And... Mm-hmm. More than just that crazy guy you saw in WWE, I have a lot, you know, a lot of things I want to do and accomplish. 
And uh, yeah. this was definitely something I always wanted to do. Always wanted to to create some type of horror movie in retrospect to the movies of the eighties. And, you know, this was uh, a great opportunity for us to do that. And I'm uh, beyond thrilled that people like it and it's getting a lot of good positive feedback. And, you know, I, I can't be, I couldn't be happier, man. It's, uh, it's definitely a long time coming. It's been nine years since we started the development of it and, you know, logistically and, financially and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we had a shoestring budget. I called in a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of favors. One of my best friends, dad owns the Reading airport here in Pennsylvania. And he happens to be a pilot and owns a helicopter and the helicopter scene. He was actually the pilot and we got to, to use the airport and film at his airport and all that kind of stuff. So that was really cool. So needless to say, it costs uh, a lot of money to rent a helicopter if you have to. So <laughs> right, if right. you're out there listening, Aaron Muller, thank you so much for all your help. I appreciate it. Uh, anybody that needs coins or <laughs> diamonds or anything, go check out Muller's Rare Coins in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Give you the best deal. Tom Snitsky sent you. All right. Very cool. Now, your character, Buck Seavers, who's a, a retired wrestler, he's he's not wrestling currently because he's got the injuries. Uh, he's got, he's pretty banged up. Um, how about yourself? Do you have, uh, like any lingering injuries from, from being a wrestler? Nope. I feel amazing, dude. I am in better shape at 49 than I was at 29. My wife's my workout partner. I have a gym in my basement and I get home from the shop. I have, uh, a military surplus shop. It's uh priority one surplus in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. Check us out there. Priority one surplus.com. And, uh, you know, I'm busy doing that, and then I come home and we work out together. And my wife's like six one, Jack, and uh, former college volleyball player, and the most awesome woman in the world. Other than that, you know, <laughs> I can't say enough about her because she keeps me going and feeds me and does uh, takes care of the house and everything. And so we get down the basement and get to get to doing our thing, and we call it the dungeon. So anybody that follows me on social media probably already knows that. Cause we post a lot of workout stuff. So yeah. Uh, can't say enough good things about her and, and, uh, you know, just, uh, doing what we do. And like I said, man, I feel better at 49 than at 29. And, uh, you know, I'm sponsored by a company called Vitargo. It's a scientifically engineered super carbohydrate post recovery deal. And I train balls to the wall every single day. And, you know, couldn't pretty much do it if it wasn't for Vitargo. So thanks everybody at Vitargo as well. My man yeah. KT, if you're listening out there, appreciate all your help. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, check out Vitargo.com. They have uh, great supplements. But uh, yeah, I feel fantastic, man. But uh, ironically, I mean, not to change the subject or the question, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of people don't know that the film's actually a bit true to life based on some uh, life events that I've had. My brother unfortunately passed away early and I got kind of depressed over that for a while and uh, stopped working out. Wasn't really myself for a while. So I kind of wanted to do like a little something in that realm. So we came up with the uh, the hurt wrestler as opposed to, you know, the depressed wrestler. Because I don't think it would have came across as well. But uh, I did dedicate the movie to my brother. So hopefully uh, he's up there smiling. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your brother. That, that's uh, that's too bad. I'm very close to my brother, so I know you know how how awful that would be to lose your brother. Yep. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. 
So I know uh, Ed McGee, Ed McKeever is also involved. Who I know him from uh, Bizarre EC. And uh, are you friends with him? Ed's my man, man. Uh, I always call him Big Ed. He's a big yeah. boy, big he strong lad. Big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of beef on the set. <laughs> yeah. between me and him and Samu and oh man it was fun man I, t- I always joke around with Ed because I always tell I always tell him I'm like man you're the hardest working guy on the set and he's always you know he's like oh thanks, thanks. Uh, honestly I don't think if Ed wasn't part of the, the production we probably would never got it finished because he was like he was like the wrangler he got everybody lined up and in place and all the logistics like I said it was a nightmare so he uh he definitely deserves the kudos, man. Ed's a great guy. And if anybody's yeah. out there looking for a cool little flick to get behind, he's uh he's developing Matt Rats as we speak. His uh his son's an up and coming actor. He was in the movie with me as well. He plays the little boy at the restaurant in the beginning there that came up for his for my autograph. Yeah. Great kid. Can't say enough good things about Ed and the kids. He has a daughter as well that's in acting now too, I think, and his wife. All good people. Uh, I know Ed's probably listening. Ed, if you're listening, man, yeah, love you, buddy. <laughs> so there's great gore in the movie. Is that uh, who did the made the special effects? And is that fun to to see or or to watch when you see the finished movie? Yeah, I mean, you know, like like I said, you have a vision in your head. I'm more of a visual guy, so mm-hmm. I kind of like could see these things in my head, but I'm not very good at writing things down because I'm I have a short attention span. I, of ADD. So it's like my mind kind of operates in a crazy way, but I see mm-hmm. things in my head and I kind of like transfer them to people that could write them. So, you know, Jason and myself and Ed and Ernie O'Donnell and, you know, a handful of people, I just kind of said, well, this is how I see it. And this is how I'd like to see it, you know, come to life and blah, blah, blah. So then they would just take it and run with it. So I was fortunate enough to have those people around me and they were able to do that. And, I'm just, uh, like I said, man, my mind just works in crazy ways. And I'll be like in the middle of a conversation with somebody and I'll get an idea for something just weird. Like it just stuff pops into my head. Yeah. So I just kind of, you know, run with it after that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, sitting back and watching the film, like I said, like I can't say enough good things about the music, the, the atmosphere, everything flows. Well, the story I thought, you know, flows well, but you know, obviously with the budget we had, I would have liked to have done a million other things, but you know, we, we were basically no, no, uh, can I, can I curse or anything? On yeah. It? You could say anything you like, okay. yeah, that's fine. All right. Cause we basically worked with fucking like zero money, dude. Like yeah. we, we were like, we were like panhandling on the street corner by Lowe's. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm kidding. We weren't doing that. Yeah. 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 No, nah, it was, uh, it was like a very, very tight budget. And, uh, you know, like I said, I called in a lot of favors, but you know, we we uh, we did some magic, I think, and and made things. I mean, if you watch the film like you did, you've already seen mm-hmm. it, but you know, people listening haven't. When you watch the film, you're never, ever, ever gonna think that it was like a fifty thousand dollar budget. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah, it looks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the filming well, quality, the the music, the like everything, man. I'm just so proud of it and so happy that we finally got it done. And Indican Pictures, you know, is distributing it. And I'm actually working on a on getting uh, of screening or a run of it at the Angela Theater in Coldale. That's my hometown theater. So 
always wanted to do a big premiere of my first movie, so we're trying to get things planned out within the can now to get uh, the nice big red carpet event there in Coldale, Pennsylvania. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. And then I got a couple drive-ins that want to run it too, so we're kind of working oh, that, things out right cool. now as we speak. So, yeah, because yeah, when I was a kid, man, I used to go to the drive-ins with my mom and dad yeah, and get too. the blanket in the back seat and, you know, <laughs> all that good stuff. And, you know, it's sad to see that aspect of film going away, but, man, I'll tell you, where I live in Pennsylvania, there's still a lot of drive-ins, and, and I'm stoked to get, you know, 100 acres of hell out on the drive-ins and make a, you know, a, a nice uh, – nice weekend event out of it and mm-hmm. yeah, you just know there's nothing that you could compare to a drive-in theater man there's just nothing you i agree compare to it. it's, I agree. it's like no. it's like uh cinema history you know it's like i just mm-hmm. love the feel but you know so stay tuned we'll keep everything you know out there on the on the social media side of it so if anybody uh does want to follow me you can check out my twitter at the uh my twitter's Big Gene Snitsky, and my Instagram is the real Snitsky, and check me out there. And you could also follow the movie at 100 Acres of Hell. Give us a like, give us a share, check out the trailer. The trailer's out there. I'm, like I said, I'm pretty proud of it. I think everybody will like it. So I'm sorry yeah. I didn't cut you off. What were you going to ask me? Uh, no, I was just going to say, I know that you're um, obviously you have the background in wrestling, so you're used to being in front of people. But what was it like to watch your movie on the big screen? Is that a different experience? Is that are you nervous at all for that? Uh, I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm very critical of myself. I've always been my biggest critic, like even watching back my wrestling matches or seeing myself on TV or the pay-per-views or stuff. I was always like, oh, I should have did this or I should have did that or I wish I would have did this. Like I'm very, uh, I'm very competitive, so I'm very hard on myself, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I'm just one of those guys. I hate to lose in anything, like even if it's just like, you know, a video game or you know checkers yeah. or anything. I hate losing in anything, uh-huh. and uh, I could thank my dad for that because when I was a kid, we used to play pong, and he'd always beat me and rub it in, and oh, I get so mad, <laughs> and then I finally. I finally beat him, and boy, he didn't hear the end of it for like days. And I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" So I just hate—I I hate losing, man. And it's like, uh, if you guys are—you guys can relate to like pong, probably. You guys remember that? Oh, yeah, the, yeah the, the kids these days have no idea how we developed <laughs> through the video game era. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, so got my dad to thank for that. But I've just always been a naturally competitive guy. I've played sports since I'm like six, seven years old, and started playing football when I was 10 and you know, all that. I mean, I don't know if anybody, you know, really did any research on my background, but you know, I did the the football thing. I was first team all state in high school with football, played on the first championship team in my high school, yada, yada, yada. I went to Missouri on a full football scholarship, played with the Chargers for a little bit, tore my labor room, then played in the CFL and started wrestling after that. And, you know, did the wrestling thing for a while. So, I mean, I've been around the block a couple of times and, uh, you know, actually I was very honored to get inducted into the Pennsylvania sports hall of fame last year. Oh, wow, I had the cool. honor, honor of the, of getting inducted in front of my mom, my dad, my wife. So that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's probably besides the film, probably my favorite accomplishment because like, you can't really, you know, buy your way into that or have mm-hmm. your buddy get you into it. You got to really earn that. So pretty proud of uh, that accomplishment because Pennsylvania is a pretty big state and it's a lot of great athletes have come through Pennsylvania. So to be included in that list and, and be, uh, 
you know, memorialized in that form is really cool. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping the, uh, I'm hoping the film takes off and becomes a cult classic and I could add, well, I could already add award-winning director or, or uh, uh-huh. producer rather. And I did do the stunt coordinating and the fight sequences and all that other stuff too. So pretty yeah. proud of that. I never, you know, I always wanted to do stunts and I always wanted to be a stunt coordinator of some type. And, you know, when the opportunity arose to actually do all the fight sequences and all the fight scenes for the movie, I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully, like you said, you know, you enjoyed the fight sequence. So definitely. That, uh, that makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> well, what was it like to, to do the big fight with all the fire there? Oh, uh, dude, I was like on fire like five times. It was crazy. Because <laughs> we did it like legit fire. I had yeah, no fire on suit on. Fire. I had no like, yeah, nothing. Because like I said, the budget was a shoestring budget. So I'm like on fire. and People are like, you're on fire. And they're like patting <laughs> me down. I'm like, ah, screw it. Let's get this film. It's just like four o'clock in the morning and it was freezing and it was wet. It had rained, I think the day before or something and the ground, like we're rolling around on the ground and I'm wet and it's cold and I'm on fire. I'm like, this is it's pretty fun. <laughs> but no, it was great, it, man. And it came out well too. Samu- yeah, well, man, that's the most important thing, you know. But yeah. Sam, Samu was awesome to work with, man. He, you know, he basically broke me into the wrestling business. I trained with him and his dad and his brother Lloyd and his brother Alpha Jr. over at the training camp in Allentown. If anybody's looking to become a pro wrestler, definitely hit up Samu Wild Samoan Pro Wrestling Training Center. Their dad, the, the famous Hall of Fame wrestler Alpha Anawai and the Anawai Dynasty. I mean. Anybody wants to get into wrestling, that's the way to go. Tell them Snitsky sent you. And if you if you can't make it through the training, it's not my fault. <laughs> Very good. I, I've interviewed Appa before on my, on my wrestling podcast. Yeah, he's awesome, wild moments. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we call him Pops. He's great. He's the best. I wouldn't be yeah. wouldn't be where I am today without him and Sam and Lloyd and Alpha Jr. and you know, it's uh, anytime I could help those guys or involve them in projects, man. Sam was the first guy I called. I was like, hey, I'm doing this horror movie. You got to be a villain. He's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, his and brother, that- Alpha Jr., was the stunt man. He did all the the, the actual, like, oh, hardcore nice. stunt stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it was cool, man. Uh, there's that, uh, that one scene in the fight where he takes one hell of a bump. I don't want to ruin it for people, but sure. uh, that was. We filmed that twice, and I, I felt bad for him the first time. I felt worse for him the second time. <laughs> yeah. Because you, you, you saw the movie, and you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, definitely. And no yeah. no stunt suit, no padding, no nothing. It was just kerplunk. And it, 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 yeah. Yeah. I've been there, done that, so it hurts, trust me. So when you uh-huh. see the film, when you're uh, all the people listening out there, when you see the film, it fucking hurts. and one more question here is uh your beard's not as long in the movie you have an enormous beard now so how long did it take to grow the beard out well it's kind of a personal question uh Uh, actually i started growing it right after the film and then uh, i think i had to trim it down one other time for a project but uh i let it like grow out March of 17. So it's about two and a half years now. And my wife just trimmed uh, about maybe three or four inches off. So now it's all nice and fluffy, but still nice and long. And, and, uh, 
I don't know, dude. It's crazy. I always joke around. I mean, I'm, I don't know if you guys have like a, a PG-13 audience, but I always joke around with guys at the surplus shop. They're like, How are you? damn, last time I was in here, your beard wasn't that long. I was like, well, you just got to fertilize it with the right stuff. And they laugh. <laughs> it's like a sexual innuendo joke. Get it? Right, Fertil- you, know. yeah, <laughs> you guys get it. Come on now. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah so I, that's, that's like the running joke that you just got to fertilize it. And, uh, but yeah, I think damn thing grows pretty fast. It's pretty awesome too. If I say so myself. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I'm friends with you on Facebook and I do notice you are in amazing shape and not that you were in bad well, shape. And, uh, coming, in coming from a guy that's kind of weird, I guess, but that's all right. Hey, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to ogle at my photos, have at it, man. I, I don't do it. Yeah, I have a secret folder here. My <laughs> Hey, just keep your hand out of your pants when you're looking at the folder. And we're good. Yeah, I only need one to hold the mouse. So <laughs> this interview suddenly took a turn for the worse. <laughs> or the better, depending on your point of view, I guess. <laughs> uh, nah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Like I said, I work hard at it. My wife and I, you know, she's my workout partner. We take a lot of pride in, in how we train and looking good and staying in shape and all that good shit. So, no, nah, I appreciate it. Thanks. And I'm not the youngest guy in the in the in the crowd anymore either. So I'm even more proud of that. That I could uh you know consistently stay in pretty decent shape. And that's one thing that sucked about filming the movie. I I that like I had to look like a, a down and out wrestler so I couldn't really like work out too hard. I was like, right, man, right. I can't wait to get back like in shape shape. Because I was kinda yeah. chubby in the film, man, and I got no beard and I'm kinda chubby. It's like God damn, I hope people don't remember me for this forever. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point and it's also cool to see Eileen Dietz in the movie who is uh, from uh, I don't know the name yeah, escapes me it's exorcist. one of the most classic hor- exorcist one of the biggest exorcist. horror movies of all time oh, man. Yeah. yeah and you were probably looking at one of those pictures of me working out I can't believe it <laughs> yeah it's my, it's my screensaver here <laughs> Well, hopefully you have saran wrap over your screensaver. <laughs> right, save, right. save, save the, uh, the keyboard. So you don't slobber Crazy on the screen. Up. Get your mind out of the gutter, people. God. <laughs> nah, it's cool, man. She's uh, She was awesome to work with. That opening sequence with her, oh, my God, it's so damn creepy. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, oh, definitely. man. Yeah, it, it yeah. came out awesome. She was easy to work with, super cool. Everybody was. Like I said, like, it's crazy how everything just kind of came together. It took forever and ever and ever, and then bam, all of a sudden it just came together. And I was like, I'm thinking to myself, this should be pretty good. And then, like I said, when I saw it, I'm not saying it because I'm in it. I'd be the first one to tell you it sucked if it sucked. But I was like, man, this is actually really good. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think, like I said earlier, man, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised because, like I said, people know me from wrestling and they're like, ah, nah. another wrestler trying to be an actor. Ah, 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 ah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not the case at all because I've been, I've been acting in some way, shape, or form since I'm a freaking kid. Cause I was always like the class clown kind of guy. I was always the kind of guy that if you dared me to do something, I'd do it. So, I mean, any of the guys that played football with me at Missouri could vouch for it. They, they would always... Stisky, do this. Stisky, do that. All right. So, you know, just kind of came naturally. Yeah. I guess yeah, my mom I, dropped me on the head too much as a child, but it's okay. <laughs> I still yeah, it turned out all right. All right. Yeah. And I, 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 slobber, I, see I, I only slobber on myself once in a while. <laughs> and I see some other horror movies in the works. Uh, 
Well, we're not here to talk about those right now. We're here to talk about 100 Acres of Hell. So I want right, to fair enough, fair enough. That. Yeah, I got we got to we got we to push the shit out of this film because I got people to pay. You know what I'm saying? I got you. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, it's, dude, man, it, I, I am so excited about this film. It's not even funny. I have nine years of, like, pent up uh, happiness just waiting to be expelled on the world. So I'm like a walking unicorn slash rainbow slash juicy fruit, just ready to explode. <laughs> Yeah. So when does um where can you when will you be able to get hundred acres of hill? Well, from what I've been told by Indican, the uh, limited theater release will be on October eighth, and mm-hmm. then the uh, streaming services October fifteenth. So I'm really, 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 really hoping Indican. If you're listening, please get it on Redbox because I want to walk yeah. into Boyer's supermarket across from my house here and see myself on the Redbox thing because then I'll yeah. really know I made. It. Cause then I could really, yeah. really, really say I've accomplished something. I agree. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you can uh, follow hundred acres of hell on Facebook and you can go to their website, hundred acres of hell.com. It's easy to remember. And that's uh follow Snitsky online. He told you how, where to do it. And it's been really cool to talk to you. And I really did like the movie. Well, I'm not, I'm not done yet. I got a couple more plugs, man. Don't be cutting all my right. time short. Let's do it. I, Let's I, waited, do it I waited all day for this interview. <laughs> I had my freaking alarm set. I had two snooze well, buttons set that. up in case I dozed <laughs> off. All right, well, I so appreciate that. I got a couple thank yous here. First all of right. all, I want to thank, I want to thank my buddy, Kevin Coates, who has classic Harley Davidson in Reading, Pennsylvania. He was one of the, the main uh, constituents behind the filming of the film. Also, big, big, big thanks to Al Schlechter. He uh, he came through when we needed him the most. And uh, Al, I love you, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for supporting and uh, seeing the vision and having faith in the project. Also, my boys down at the uh, the pizza shop down in Reading, you know who you are, Chris Bloom and and Big Pete and all those guys. They uh, they got Roma Pizza down on Fifth Street in Reading. If you guys are down that way, catch a slice because it's the freaking best pizza going. And they have really good salads, too. I always get a salad right. there because I got to watch my girlish figure. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, man, I have so many people to thank. I don't even know who to thank first. But those are two of the main guys, three of the main guys. Uh, Sam did a great job as the villain. I think mm-hmm. you guys uh, would agree. Yes. And, uh Everybody that's involved in the project, thank you. I know I'm probably forgetting a couple of uh, very important people, but uh, my partners, Ed and Jason, and, uh, you know, Ernie and Joel Ruda. Joel Ruda opened up his house in Atlantic City for us to kind of make as base camp. So, Joel, love you, man. Uh, Obviously, you know, everybody that's taken the time to watch the trailer and, you know, support the, the film. Uh, Michael Doherty, Doherty, he uh, helped raise some more funds for us through the uh, the the ad campaign thing. What the hell do they call that? Uh, oh, like the, the GoFundMe the or fund me, the, the yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I just want to thank him, man. I know I'm forgetting somebody. If I'm forgetting you, tough shit because it's not my <laughs> fault. But I, I I I'm on a limited menu here of memory, so I'm uh, running short on on megabytes been hitting the head with too many chairs over the years but i'm doing the best i can deal with it uh Uh, thanks thanks to you guys for having me on the show thank you so much for promoting it thank you so much for watching it Mm -hmm. i really really appreciate it uh i don't know everybody else thank you see you at the movies and uh get a copy 
and hit me up on you know social media. Let me know how you liked it. And uh, I think that's about it. What did you guys have to say about the film, man? All I heard was one little thing. Give me the screen. I, I, I had a great, I had a great time. I thought it was, it was a nice, it was a, a good uh, throwback slasher movie to the eighties, but it's you know, set modern day. And uh, for for people like myself who grew up with those kind of movies, I think you're really gonna dig it. And you know, there's not a lot of there's uh, horror movies are a little different today for the most part. But if you miss those kind of movies, this is a, this is a movie for you. Hundred Acres of Hell. Uh, I appreciate that. And an exactly epic, and an epic battle scene. Well, thanks. I'm pretty proud of that as well. But the yeah. fire was cool, though, right? That was oh, a yeah, little definitely. Yeah, and I appreciate yeah, yeah, it was I mean, real fire. Yes, it was. Believe me, I have like burned since jeans to prove it. I, I right. saved them. I held. I held on to all that stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. So. The best was when I got hit with the freaking, uh, I think it's in the film, when I got hit with the actual flaming board. Mm-hmm. I think that's in the fight scene. I can't even remember anymore because there's so many, we we filmed so many different things. But yeah, there was like a freaking, he pulled out a piece of wood from the freaking actual fire and smashed it across my chest. And, you know, no protection, no nothing, because that's how we do it here in Pennsylvania. Ha <laughs> <laughs> But hey, oh, speaking of Pennsylvania, I want to give a shout yeah. out to Nesquahoning, man. N-E-S-Q-U-E-H-O-N-I-N-G. Hometown of Snitsky. Yeah, buddy. Booming right. metropolis of 3,500 people. One one stoplight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I'm go. super proud of the area we came from. And, you know, I love it here in Pennsylvania. And hopefully, uh, like I said, we're working on getting it into the Angela Theater. Go check mm-hmm. them out on Facebook, too. The Angela Theater in Coldale, Pennsylvania. Ask for Mike or Debbie. Tell them Snitsky sent you. My favorite hometown theater. And I think I plugged everybody I got to plug. So yeah. Yeah, my my uh, grandparents are from uh, Pennsylvania. That's where like where, where they, yeah, they moved part? up here. Uh, I think it's I think it's Fayetteville. I think. I've heard of it. I'm not sure where it is, but I definitely yeah. heard of it. I remember I used to go there when I was a kid, visit my great grandparents, and it was uh, there was like Mennonites. Uh, there they weren't Mennonites, but they were near the Mennonites. Uh-huh. And, yeah, that's down like uh, yeah, that's like uh, Lancaster area, I think. Yeah, my wife least, and I yeah. go to. Uh, we try to get down to the smorgasbord down there every once in a while, and make things of ourselves because it's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My great uncle, I forget what his great great uncle or great uncle, whatever it was. He uh, he had a butcher shop there, and I remember um, there was a certain type of it's what was it called uh, Lebanon bologna, which is, yeah. is, is uh, how do you like yeah them. yeah. Do. And then uh, my wife and I are big big fans of Scrapple too. Scrapple's good. Uh huh. Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, I remember that when I was a kid. Yeah. But uh, also, I'd like to thank one more person out of it just popped into my head. My buddy, Harry Workheiser, who has the Bonanza in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. We had our, our rap party up there. He let us eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. And, you know, always, t- always takes care of me every time I go up there. He has the best breakfast buffets on the weekends. People, if you live near Hazleton, Pennsylvania, get your ass to Bonanza, get the breakfast buffet, and tell Harry that Snitsky sent you. And he'll charge you double. <laughs> it's a hell of a deal. <laughs> <laughs> he obviously knows no. you well, too. Yeah. Well, hey, I hate to say it, and I don't want to sound cheap, but my favorite price is three ninety nine. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that myself. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so not. Nah, 
appreciate you guys having me on. Like I said, everybody, please yeah. go out and check out 100 Acres of Hell. Get your copy. Indican Pictures is the distributor. They're getting it out there October 8th. Keep an eye out. Follow me on social media. We'll keep everybody abreast of uh, the happenings. And uh, whatever you do, don't go into the woods alone because Jeb Tucker will kill you. Very cool. I appreciate you coming on. It's been a lot of fun. And continue hey, success with the movie. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, thank you guys for having me on. This was my first official interview for the movie. So I'm pretty pumped. You guys uh, cool. just made movie history. So to Excellent. Speak. I pat myself on the back. I'd pat you on the back too if I was All there. Right. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a virtual pat on the back. I'm All moving right, my hand good. right now pretending I'm patting you on the back. Very nice. I feel like Barry Horowitz. Yeah. Right the pat on the back. Well, hey. You got to do what you got to do, man. Every Everybody <laughs> is somebody out there in the world. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, you have a good night, and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime. All right, fellas. Thanks again. Yeah. I appreciate it. And uh, get your ass out and see 100 Acres of Hell. Yeah. And uh, if, it's, if it's not the best horror film you ever saw, it's not my fault. <laughs> Very good. All right. All right, guys. Uh, take it. Very good. All right. Thank you, man. Have a good night. All right, guys. Take care. Right. You too. Bye. This is Victor Miller, and I wrote the first Friday the 13th. And you are listening to WithoutYourHead.com. Demise is not the coolest thing you know